Report. Everything's status quo, sir. Very well. If um, anyone needs me, I'll be in my ready room. your room the only and longest running star trek the next generation rewatch podcast every week except last week we're bringing you an episode of star trek the next generation and all the behind the scenes stories that came together to make it happen my name is mitchell mells chief consultant of services at paramount and with me is my life partner brandon hobbs ex-head of resources management brandon how are we doing today well mitch i'm uh, still on the mend from from my covid infection yeah, I heard you had the Menzies. Yeah. Um, I'm almost delirious right now. Yeah? Yeah, one more so than usual. No, yeah, well, I know that last week things were particularly difficult. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Hence our, our lack of, of appearance. Right, right. And, you know, we don't like to do this, but uh, we strive to deliver a competent uh, uh, radio show every week. So, um it it wouldn't have worked out very well had had we moved forward with it last week, but uh, but we're we're back and uh, we're better than ever. Uh, we're just about as even keel as as ever. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think my voice isn't coming through too. My my voice is still kind of scratchy. No, I think our our collective step lacks some pep that it usually has. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I yeah. I I suppose so. This is going to be a depressing episode. Yeah. I think. But it, maybe helping with that, it is going to be a longer episode than than usual than we've ever had. <laughs> if you can imagine such a such an arrangement, um, full of full of Jerry foolery, <laughs> making up for lost time with um with a double feature. Well, I mean, you know, you've seen that people listening have seen the title. It's not exactly a surprise, right? Um, uh, what's I would ask what's been new with you, but I feel like the answer ha- is just you sitting in a dark room wanting to die. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> well, it's That's nice. Be- right. It's nice because you and I have that in common. Right. Right. Yeah. We. It's. It's. It's almost poetic, really, that way that we're both sitting in a dark room, um, probably drinking too much. Yes. Wanting to die. Yes. Uh, it's. It's. It's been. An, it's been a nice uh, week. It's. Um. It's just. You know the a tale of two cities. This is more of a tale of one city. Um, it was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's but some still... <laughs> some classical references. You know, uh, Charles Vaginans. It 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 still is a tale of two kitties, though. This is true. <laughs> this is true. I, <clears throat> we are big um, William Murray fans. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps what a what a what inspired casting that was. Yeah, I think there was a story about this. Do you do you know the story of that casting? I, I, I probably do, but no, not really. I I, w- I wish you did because I don't really know it. But um, <laughs> there, it was something like the script that Bill Murray saw, or the the film that he had been pitched, was so wildly different from what the final product <laughs> was going to be that he signed on signed a contract and then it just became like a a rote family picture 
Oh, here it is. It, he thought the screenwriter was someone else. Oh, that's it. That's it. Okay. And Which the, I, I guess is probably the same. Same right. thing. Right. Different image of where it was going to go. But um, yeah. So now I don't know. I don't know if he's <laughs> yeah, okay. Here it is. Here it is. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. He thought it was Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers, <laughs> when really it was the Joel Cohen who wrote "Cheaper by the Dozen" and "Daddy Day Camp." Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <clears throat> now i don't know where the sequel came from if he signed a two movie deal or if they just offered him a lot of money or if the actual right. joel cohen came on to write that one <laughs> maybe maybe many possibilities <laughs> uh we have fun here we do unlike anybody who went and saw garfield a tale of two kitties I didn't see Tale of Two Kitties, but I, I did unfortunately see the first. Really? Now, in I, fact, I think I had to buy it on DVD for my for my son. Now I saw Two Kitties, but that was at a pet shop. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That does happen sometimes. Right, right. And um, you ever like go to a pet shop, and uh, you know you just pick up the pets to you know fuck around with them and then put them back and not not take them. Yeah, yeah. You toss them up in the air like they're babies. Right, and it's always like. A Russian roulette situation to me, um, because I'm like, oh, you know, I want to play with the cute animal and, you know, like spin it around by its tail or whatever it is you do. And <laughs> the things aren't housebroken. They're young. They're, you know, puppies and kitties. So they don't. They're nubile. They're nubile. They don't know etiquette. <laughs> they might just shit on you at any moment. They and, could. And it really hampers my ability to enjoy the, the situation. Yeah, I, I, I suppose. I suppose so. You know what I mean? I, I'm not. I'm not really. Uh, you know, I go to the mall. I I, I walk past the the pets the pet store, and I, I don't really have this urge to go in and kind of torture the animals so much. But mm. I, I I can see someone who does having this issue. Yeah. Well, I, I I just don't know. I think people have a different constitution than I do. Um, insofar as they're okay being pissed and shitted on by mm -hmm. by animals whereas for me it's, they, they, it's they really have a, a bill of rights it's a it's a non-starter um, <laughs> it's a non-starter <laughs> uh japanese pet stores are uniquely depressing aren't they yeah i mean once you get you just have to accept the fact that there's no respect at all for animals ever and um once you deal with that you kind of just go along with the crowd. It's like, yeah, I'll go in here. I have no intention of adopting this thing, but nobody gives a shit about it, so whatever. Uh, like I said, I'll just, <laughs> just toss it up in the air. And Yeah, um, yeah. Well, there's that. There's that, but it's sort of like, you know, you, you go into an American pet shop and, uh, you know, there's these little puppies in cages or whatever behind glass windows, but Japanese pet stores are so small, it's like the employees are also in a cage. Yes. It's like a, it's a hole in the wall, and they just yeah. reach their arm into that hole and pull out some animal. Yeah, I have no idea where they even got it. Right. It's like, um, what's the opposite of a glory hole? Like a dishonor hole. <laughs> a shame hole. A hole you put your mouth up to? <laughs> put mouth up, receive kitten. <laughs> just, just, just stand there with your, with your hole up to the mouth. With your mouth closed. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> well, I mean, in any glory hole, 
there is somebody doing that, right? Yeah, sure. Now, I don't know if glory holes were ever, like, a real thing or just a, a, a fragment of the collective unconsciousness. Um, that... Wait, wait, who who initiates? Is it, the, is it the one who puts his dick in the hole or the one who puts their mouth up to the My hole? My image is that there's just somebody, maybe it's their hobby, just in there, in the hole, um, all day, all night, whatever, uh, whatever their shift is. And people, you know, they're just in the stall, dicking around, whatever. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes in, a dick pops through the hole, and they're like, all right, time to go to work. Um... I don't know if it's an arranged thing, like with. I'm just wondering what makes it glorious. Um, is is it the mouth or the dick? The mouth. I think the mouth is tendering okay. service to the dick. Okay. So my little bit back there doesn't really make any sense. Oh, you tried. Yeah, I, I did. You, you hear about this this tapping your foot in the bathroom type tomfoolery? Is this like a whistling on the elevator situation? What, what is what is that? That's a that's a death of a salesman reference. <clears throat> the Shakespeare. Ah, uh, well, I mean, you know, not Sturge Spear, but there was one character. There, one salesman's talking to another. He's like, "Oh, you never whistle on an elevator. Either it's bad luck or whatever." And uh, they made a reference to that on Seinfeld, which is the only reason I know it. Mm. And uh, here we are, but that... no, yeah, the the tapping your foot bit is to in 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 the bathroom uh-huh. is to signify you would like to have a homosexual encounter. I see, I see. Now, mm. well, with um, bathroom laws being what they are these days, it could be a heterosexual encounter. Could be, yeah, yeah. You never really know, right? I mean, imagine <laughs> it could be that a non-binary encounter. That's true, but imagine you're like, oh, I'm ready to have you know, hot, sweaty, gay sex, and, you know, you, you tap your foot, and the person who answers is just like a, it's like a beautiful woman, and you're like, oh my god, fuck this. <laughs> Buck Angel walks in. <laughs> I can't get over the name Buck Angel. It's just a, like, it's a punchline. It's pretty good. Now, I, if that was my name, I'd always be worried about misspelling it Buck Angle. Yeah, yeah, like the angle of death. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which, as we all know, is uh, 75 degrees. <laughs> we're uh, we're also hot off the heels of watching Chip and Dale on yeah. Disney+. Plus, Which is just something to, you know, gene- geriatric men do. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Chip and Dale back when my... Great grandchildren would watch it on TV. <laughs> well, your great grandchildren used 4chan? Jesus. So, <laughs> <clears throat> what did you think of Chip and Dale? Yeah, it was pretty pretty bad. It was okay, though. I mean, it was alright. I mean, I know it's a, a baby cartoon, but I still found parts of it to just be so obnoxious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. There, there were like three or four good bits, but uh, not worth like a two-hour watch by no. by any means i find john mulaney to be insufferable was was john mulaney in that he was either chip or dale to be honest i can't tell them apart oh it was him and um andy samberg who who was also just kind of right right the lonely island guy right. or whatever right um, right right yeah i <clears throat> i think we actually did discuss this I, I i just really hate john mulaney for 
banging and and knocking up um what's that G4 bitch? Morgan Webb? No, the other one. Olivia Munn? Olivia Munn. Oh, I didn't know that happened, but that, isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's that's bizarre, but that doesn't really factor into my disdain for him. Um, mm. I just think that he has the most uh, bland, is, is, blandly is he, sanitized. Is he milk yeah, milk toast is a good way to put it. Sanitized is another way. I just there's nothing. I don't want to say edgy, but there's nothing cutting about his his humor. It's like it's 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 like something you could show, um, you know, your your ten year old brother. You know, it's like I'm just gonna put this on, and and well, guy's... I think that's kind of why his gimmick works. Yeah, I I wouldn't say he doesn't have edgy stuff. It's just not he doesn't he doesn't present it that way. Like he presents it. Well, that's why I don't want to say edgy because it's not that. It's more of the the image and the delivery is is extremely sanitized. Is um, is it because it's something someone who posts on Reddit would like? No, but that is also another <laughs> another thing. Yeah, here's something. So you can be on Reddit. And people will post like a a John Mulaney stand up quote mm-hmm. as a non sequitur, and then somebody mm-hmm. will reply to it with a link to a subreddit called Unexpected Mulaney. Oh, and it's just embarrassing. You know, uh, Mulaney did a show I think last night where Dave Chappelle showed up. Uh huh. And 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 he did like a quick little opener for him, and. Uh, he made one transphobic joke and one homophobic joke. John Mulaney or uh, Dave Chappelle? Uh, Chappelle. And, yeah. and then John Mulaney hugged him, and uh, Twitter's going wild. Is this actually true? It's actually true. This is pretty funny. Yeah. I like, I like how we're at the point where we have to ask each other if what we're saying <laughs> is actually true. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We've made our bed. Now we have to lie in it. <laughs> And I don't know. I I, I don't know how one lions a bed other than maybe roaring at it, but that (laughs) is now what we must do. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let me let me see what what kind of posts we're getting these days by John Mulaney. Live Twitter reading. Uh, My favorite part of tonight was when Dave Chappelle ambushed us at the John Mulaney show, told a bunch of transphobic jokes. A massive stadium of people laughed, and then John Mulaney hugged him at the end. I imagine that John Mulaney, being a comedian, probably respects Dave Chappelle, just for the craft. You would think. He did wait, hug it's him. Like, it's like, wait, you mean, uh, you, you, you mean a comedian shows any shred of respect for another comedian? Bizarre, I know. Right. What the fuck, Mulaney? We came to see some comedy, not some fucking transphobic screed or tacit endorsement of it or cancel culture whinging or whatever. This, this person's not British, by the way, or whatever bullshit. What a betrayal of your audience's trust. This is enjoyable. Whinging. You were right. Cancel to... culture whinging. <laughs> you were right to bring this to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll. We've had enough of your cancel culture whinging. I, I my favorite thing is uh, have you ever seen? So let's say there's a controversial, um, joke by a comedian or really a- anybody anywhere, and um, 
somebody reacts to it and gets offended and somebody else says oh you know it's a joke and then inevitably mm-hmm. they're like jokes are supposed to be funny you mm-hmm. ever see this yeah oh yeah yeah totally the absolute most brain dead response i i could fathom in in this right. situation just just terrible right no it's because yeah it's like well now you're the arbiter on what's funny huh right it's, it's like because it, for them it's always like uh it's 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 like one of those scales um from like schoolhouse rock or whatever uh it, it, it's it's got like on one side is how funny something is and on the other is how damaging it could be to bipoc populations mm-hmm. and uh I, I I imagine that's just how they view all comedy. I think Schoolhouse Rock is a good example because they just would be happy if um, comedy shows were just people coming in and making a joke about geography or some other <laughs> bland topic <laughs> that doesn't apply to anybody. It's like, oh man. I wanted to serve my dinner guests, but I was all out of tectonic plates. And then they just <laughs> start giggling. I guess in that same vein, are the kind of people who really liked Hamilton. Hamilton? Yeah, like like the musical. Oh, Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. I'm not even joking. I thought you said liked Hamilton. <laughs> Who's Hamilton? That's that's what I want to know. Now. <laughs> Um, my only exposure to Hamilton was when, uh, what is his name? Lynn manuel Miranda was on... Something like that. <laughs> was on Curb. Oh, was he? He was. He factored into, like, a season-long, that season's arc. Um, quick recap. Larry, David, was mm. targeted by some, uh, I don't know if they were, like, Palestinians or, or what... But some Middle Eastern group that wanted to to fucking kill him, they declared a a, a fatwa on him, which I guess is like a jihad. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I don't even know, but <laughs> the word fatwa is amazing. It is. It is. And I feel like it's also the name of a system of a down song. <laughs> that's a very astute observation. Um, We're gonna put a fatwa on your head. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, Larry was making a musical called Fatwa, and I don't remember the exact temporal order of these events, which one preceded the other, but mm-hmm. um, I do know that he contracted Lin Manuel Miranda to help make the Fatwa mm. musical. That's a bad thing to contract. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, he's still kicking at like age 95 or however old he is, and um, eventually they just shot paintballs at each other. It was a very convoluted. Um, the series of events, but he, mm. he, Lin, 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 Manuel Miranda was on Curb. And then he made that fucking Disney movie that everybody's jerking off to. You heard about this? No, what is this? It's about a family of Hispanics that have family problems. Very true to life. And, um, oh, oh, is is this, um, it's, it's animated, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not Coco, it's... That was the other one. Right, the the other the other Hispanic film, uh, um, Lin Manuel. I, I'm looking it up. <laughs> okay, Encanto. Yeah, Encanto. Yeah, it's got that dumpy bitch as the main character. Yeah, I, they're all like dumpy. He, 
you can you can kind of see yourself maybe uh, it, it, getting with. Isn't Encanto Spanish for sing? It, is it? I think Encantar is a. Uh... Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. That rings a bell. Yeah. Wait, no, no. Just don't even. I, I'm looking it up right now. Forget about it. <laughs> I'm a retard. I'm a retard. Enchantment. Enchantment. That makes sense. Enchantment. <laughs> okay, what is sing in Spanish? I think it's just cantar. Ah, that's probably right. Yeah, yeah. You're you're, you're good. Encanto is in the process of singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, verb <clears throat> conjugations and all that. A conjugation visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever you said there. Yep. <laughs> what, what about what about turning red, huh? Oh boy, I haven't seen that one. What about we'll it? We'll watch it. Watch it one day. Yeah. I don't know. It's. I, I we haven't talked about it on on this Star Trek podcast. Surprisingly, I, I, I'm excited to watch it because I really <laughs> want to relate to this coming of age story for uh, you know, this young Asian American girl. Just... Twelve-year-old Chinese American girls. This uh, really something I can sink my teeth into. <laughs> um, plenty of people watch that movie uh, naked, with with their dick in their hands. Right, right. Their, their collective collective dick. Their collective hands. Mm. When, now... when she turned into the panda, they they just started furiously stroking. Now, it's not really a panda. It's a bit lesser. Right, it's a red panda. Right. Right. Now, I can't... I'll always say lesser panda. It's hilarious to me. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen an animal's name dunk on itself. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, they do that with dragons, too. Oh, yeah? Or Like, something can be a lesser dragon. I see. And it's like that that guy's gotta really feel shitty about himself. Kind of bullying, right? Yeah, sorta. Mm. Dragon. Oh, that might have just might have just been a Yu-Gi-Oh card, never mind. Oh. This is almost as you bad know. as my Spanish. <laughs> that uh you remember Yu-Gi-Oh? It's it's what all the, the, the currently ninety five year old dudes nowadays used to play. Uh I I just I only know Yu-Gi-Oh insofar as investing in it. I bought mm. a mint <laughs> Blue eyes, white dragon. You, you flipped a Buster Soldier. <laughs> I uh, back flipped, in the day. I flipped a Dark Magician girl mm. until I came. <laughs> well, that is what you do with the Dark Magician girl. You know, in Japanese, she's the Black Magician girl. Really? Yeah. I did not know so, that. Chewing on that. <laughs> I'm chewing. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, we have fun here. Enough of this tomfoolery. Oh Jesus! We circled back to um. My life is a is like a flipping light switch between tomfoolery and Jerry foolery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the rare Ben foolery. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yep. <coughs> Fucking had to. Just took a moment for that, you know. Hated it. <clears throat> no, you you loved it. You loved it. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah. Is there anything else going on these days? Ah, oh, God. I just we have so 
little Star Trek content to discuss this week. I uh, I know. Just had nothing. Just like we had... watched what half an episode. Right, right. Point point four of an app. Um, <laughs> I only made it one one act break. <laughs> just in time to catch the inappropriate sting. Yes. Yes. Now that funny you should mention that because I've really been getting into the music of the police these days. Um, straight up, unironically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I th- it's weird to me that the police have the um, reputation that they do because their music is actually good. Um, sure. Now, a lot of people, when they think of the police, they're going to think of, you know, Roxanne. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so- sure. Song's not great. Um... And maybe one or two of the other hits every every yeah, like step message you in take. a bottle. Yeah, don't stand so close to me. A lot of these songs aren't great, um, but the Police are oddly enough a group of several extremely talented musicians. Their their drummer is probably the best person to ever drum mm-hmm. in, the, in the world. He's he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Sting, despite just being kind of a soft rock um, shuckster. Huckster is uh, actually quite a good bassist, and their guitarist plays extremely complex lines that uh, are seeded into what sound like simple songs. Was wait was was Sting the guy who would go on to to make that song like uh... that was Sting, right? I think that was Isis. <laughs> no, no. What is it? What what is it? Sting. Sting uh, yeah, garbled yeah, gibberish. Keep, keep talking. I'm gonna look it up. Um, so they their music is is a it's really good, but it's it's a weird blend of of reggae and punk rock that's not ska at all, which is very much appreciated. Sure. Um, and I just I just don't think they get enough love beyond being like a nostalgia act of 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 these hits um and uh, i think that going through and listening to any one of their records is is a really good experience so yeah I think... yeah okay no yes it's it's desert rose i dream of i've never you, heard you, that song yeah oh uh, back in the day that uh, that really inspired my my kind of um my my gay sex uh <laughs> like uh, <laughs> please uh, continue <laughs> You know, you know, uh, uh, remaking lyrics of a song so that it's about gay sex, and and uh, you know, instead of "I dream of rain," I just had him say, "I'm fucking gay." I'm fucking gay. <laughs> I like the phrasing. You, you should listen to it. <laughs> I like the phrasing. I had him say, you know, as if you're <laughs> yeah, directing yeah, stick. <laughs> um, but yeah, I so... probably listened to in terms of the police. I probably listened to that. Uh, you remember when they 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 remade uh, "Don't Stand So Close to Me" or whatever? Go on. No, I don't actually. You don't remember this? Is this oh, like a yeah, Devo no. 2.0 situation? No, 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 no. It was. I think it was like a. Oh, I don't even know when the first one came out, but. Uh, and I don't. I I couldn't tell you the album, but but they made a new version of it that was like, like almost like depressing. Who 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 made it? Who remade it? The police. Police. The police were only together for like five records. 
So I, I don't know when they would have done this. Don't stand was, so um, close to me? Yeah. Now, I know that they reused the melody in a in a um, Dire Straits song. Yeah, no, 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 because because the, the, the melody actually was completely changed. Yeah, Don't Stand So Close to Me, 86. Huh. I'm looking into this right now. It's very different, you know, it's, it's not... I feel like no one really cares about it. It's probably, but I've listened to it so much. It's probably a better song. I don't think the original is really all that great. The original's catchier, but yeah, but I, yeah. I, I think I think a lot of people have an issue um, interpreting it because it's it's punchy, but it's about it's about potential pedophilia, right? Well, it's the same story as the um, every is it every step you take, every move you make. Which, I don't know which lyric is the title, but. Um, same thing with that, where the lyrics are more sinister than people really care to. Yeah, sure, sure. For. Which, um, you know, whatever. People are retarded, but. Um, I... Same deal with Ongo Boingo's "I Love Little Girls." Most yeah. people don't really pick up on that. <laughs> Have you ever heard that album? Oh no, not the whole thing. I've only heard a couple. Only a lad uh, is the name of that record and it's it's pretty good uh i now on that record there's a song um i think it's called capitalism hmm. and the refrain of the chorus says there's nothing wrong with capitalism <laughs> and what that might sound ironic but the, the song is actually actually dunking on um I, I don't know, college liberals is the that's amazing the archetype that I could because yeah. Danny Elfman is apparently rather conservative um, right and yeah it's very rare to hear that in a mainstream rock song but overall the record's pretty good now I was very sad recently when I I was reading the Wikipedia article for the, the weird science theme song as I often do and um, Danny Elfman has apparently dis disavowed the song Oh no! Yeah, I think that song's excellent. That's and a shame. It's kind of embarrassing, but I think it's very, very good. You should um, you should set up like a little stand outside, huh. and uh, just blast that from a stereo, and then you you can kind of put this like little sign out front that says "Change my mind." <laughs> Sit there with your arms crossed. You know, that's the thing. If you don't want your mind changed, you can't. It's just obstinate yeah no it's an impossible it's a herculean task really right it's one of the, the 13 feats <laughs> change ben shapiro's mind <laughs> win ben stein's money <laughs> win, win an argument with steven crowder oh god <laughs> be be john malkovich <laughs> oh god oh jesus this is uh i'm gonna um it's good stuff i wish we were recording i know i know this 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 would make for a very good podcast actually yes yes um i'm gonna make you put in the work on editing today because i'm gonna have to get up and grab a drink soon are you kidding me you know if, no, if, sorry. if i start talking about star trek right now you'll be 
locked in to yeah no i i, I can't i i'm kind of i'm 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 in too much pain i i need uh i need i need you know a constant flow of alcohol all right well i'm gonna leave this part in and then after this i'll let you go get up and then i'll cut i'll cut the interim just so everybody knows how unprofessional you are yeah sure i mean by all means i think we've kind of stopped caring about the production value of this show well you know Right. Yeah. So we could just leave it in, and um, now nah, I'll you, cut you know, it. Just, just splice them together. I'll cut it. I'll leave up until now and go get your drink. Okay. All right. I'll be right back. Yeah. All right. We're back. After, yep. After yep. our uh, unprofessional little, uh, I don't know, escape. I've been I've been watching a lot of um, a lot of podcasts these days, and and more and more I'm I'm noticing that uh, audiences like a kind of um, intimate sort of uh, 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 atmosphere, you know. Um, so is this an ASMR thing? Up and, well, no, no, you know, like uh, walking away from the podcast for ten minutes and then coming back. They they like that. I see. I see. So that's the girlfriend experience. I don't know. I just made a prostitution <laughs> reference. Um, well, I used the opportunity to go grab myself a drink as well. I have some uh, grape-flavored Korean liquor. Oh, nice, nice. Some uh, some soju, as they call it, huh? Yeah. This is much stronger than I thought it would be. It doesn't taste that strong, but um, mm. I thought it was like 5%. Turns out it's 13 Which Yeah, yeah. Will uh, that'll fuck you. It's it's really good. I hadn't um, I hadn't really discovered it until I uh, I I, I started running with the Asian American crowd, and um, that was like all they would drink. Well, that and like Hennessy. Those crazy rich Asians. Yeah. <laughs> Those crazy rich Asians. It goes great because I got this in one hand and I have my latte in the other and just dual wielding them. Oh, what a what a great combination! <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, that's what you want to put in your coffee. That's what I want to put in my body. So <laughs> <laughs> it's seven Irish coffee. It's just like a, it's it's a it's a Korean coffee, right? It's just um, it's disgusting as it sounds. <laughs> I never really got into the Irish coffee thing like i tried it once and i was like i gotta go i have to vomit right now this is not gonna work and it's, uh, alcohol and sweet things just really doesn't doesn't do it i can handle like mixing with cola or whatever but yeah 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 sure like artificially like uh, mm, uh, that, that actually doesn't make any sense no but yeah putting like i think i think it's the creaminess that did it for me it's the creaminess yes yeah it's like carbonation versus creaminess yeah yeah and i just couldn't abide by it at all do not abide didn't do not do not abide that's what they say you know bide not a very good move no no well you have to use it strategically i in my and it's mostly for early game in my mind i just couldn't even really understand how it worked so i just never used it <laughs> i mean yeah back back in the day yeah definitely back back when it would be uh well, a, 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 ember, um, flamethrower, fire spin, and fire blast all on one guy. Well, I always chose the green guy, so I, uh, I had like um, hyper beam, solar beam. 
No, no beams. It's like a like a what do you mean, no beam. No beam. It was early game. You know, yeah. Still oh, oh still yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, okay. What, okay. Do you, what do you have like leech seed and vine whip? Vine whip. Vine whip. Mm. Something like that. And stun uh, spore. Right, right. This was before. Um, what was that guy's name? He made spore. Will Wheaton. <laughs> Wait, what was his name? Will Wright. Will he was the Sim City guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, right. That, that, yeah. That's that. That sounds about right. Heyo. <laughs> so before we get into anything, I just want—I looked up the lyrics to Oingo Boingo's Capitalism, and uh, mm. if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'm, I'm going to read some of them out loud. Um, okay. The song begins. There's nothing wrong with capitalism. There's nothing wrong with free enterprise. Don't try <laughs> to make me feel guilty. I'm so tired of hearing you cry. Um, later on in the song, you're just a middle-class socialist brat from a suburban family, and you've never really had to work. So it's not a very subtle song. <laughs> it's not, not, not at all. It's just, uh, this, this is basically just a 4chan post. What the hell do you know about suffering and pain, you dumb fuck? <laughs> uh, I am happy, though, that um, he mentioned the Enterprise. Yeah. Kind of ties it back into to our podcast here. That's right. And w given that we can no longer avoid it, we must get into talking about <laughs> Star Trek at minute 40 of the podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, oh god! If if we had any fan base before, I think they're gone by now. <laughs> this we have a question of the week. <laughs> we have a question of the week from. <laughs> All right, hold on. I can I can do this. We have a question of the week from Benny Hanna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay all right all right get it together get it together benny asks the uh, who favorite starfleet captain go um that question that's was bereft a question mark but i still understand its meaning and i'm mm. gonna i'm gonna offer you a hot take okay janeway you don't actually think that. I do actually think that. No, you don't. Okay, I'm going to asterisk this by saying that I'm only one season through Voyager. But mm -hmm. I think that Janeway has has something that the other featured captains do not. And I think they're all kind of unique unto themselves. But um, Well, yeah, sure. She, she has a vagina. This is true. But I think that... Um, the reason I enjoy Janeway is because of, and I really don't want you to respond to this, is because of mm -hmm. her um, uh, portrayal as being a scientist. And the way that that works into various scenes is that instead of having somebody kind of technobabble at the captain and the captain just kind of, you know, asks them to explain or, or you know, tells them to keep going... Janeway actively Mr. LaForge. Right, right, right. Janeway actively participates in a lot of this mm. and it feels a lot more proactive. Um and it it makes the character seem smarter too and more competent. Yeah. 
so I, I enjoy that a lot. I, and I think that all the captains have their own strengths. Um, Janeway has kind of got the science thing. Picard's more of a diplomat. Uh, Kirk's action man. Cisco doesn't really have anything, but um, he's a father. And he can dance. He can dance. He can play b-ball. This is true. <laughs> I mean, if... God damn it. He plays baseball, Cisco. Um, yeah, he plays baseball? Yeah, him liking baseball is is a core tenet of his character, especially given hmm. the fact that in Star Trek, baseball is, is seen as an unpopular, archaic sport that died out. And uh, Cisco loves it. But going back to Janeway... Wow, he's so quirky. He is. I really, I really have enjoyed Janeway. She's one of the better parts of uh, Voyager, which is a show I haven't really been liking all that much. But... Yeah. Uh, she stands out as being one of its one of its best parts. So I, I, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, um, I don't. It's a hot take for us too, but I don't know in the zeitgeist of Star Trek fans how how hot that is. It's probably hot. I, th- I think it's probably hot. Uh, unlike unlike Janeway. yes, unlike Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gotten to the Q episode yet? No, there's a Q episode. Of course, there's a Q episode. There's a few. I'm pretty sure. No, I haven't gotten there yet. Did you know that Voyager has seven fucking seasons? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's that's excessive. Did Q ever show up in Deep Space Nine? Once, uh, towards the okay. very beginning. Him gotcha. and him and Vash yeah. showed up. Gash, I, th- I think. I think. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I, I think. I think he shows up a couple times in Voyager. But. And then he shows up in Picard, of course. I, it's really amazing to me for him to show up because Q has the ability to um, nullify the core conceit of Voyager, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Right. So I don't know, but it's going to take some some us. some fancy writing to have him reoccur and not help at all. Right. Ooh, that sucks. Right. But it does kind of make sense, given that Q, in one of his first appearances in TNG, maybe the first, I don't, no, not the first one, that's Farpoint, but, you know, he brings them to where the Borg are, which is the Delta Quadrant. So, like, that's kind Mm -hmm. of established that he fucks with the Delta Quadrant. I didn't listen to anything you just said. Delta Quadrant. Okay, Delta Quadrant. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh... Pop quiz, what quadrant do, do the other Star Trek series take place in? The Gamma Quadrant. That's wrong. All right, what is it? Alpha Quadrant. Really? That's yeah. so stupid. All right, uh, second pop quiz. Where does the um, wormhole next to Deep Space Nine, what quadrant does that deposit people who enter it? The Gamma Quadrant. I think that's actually true. I, I have to check that out. <laughs> um... Hold on. How do, how do I even look this up? Yeah, it is the Gamma Quadrant. Nice. Wow. Hey, I got I got one thing right. It's, yeah. it feels it, nice to get the the pop quiz right. We'll make a Deep Space Nine fan of you yet. Uh, all right. So yeah, who's your favorite you, you captain? Want, you want my, yeah. my cap. My my favorite captain. Uh, captain. My favorite captain is um, Robert April, um, okay. who was um, uh, well. Pike was his first officer on on the Enterprise. Uh, and as you know, Pike would go on to uh, become the captain of the Enterprise before Kirk. So, okay? it, so it goes this guy, Pike, Kirk. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, Robert April, and and he's special because um, he he may be the only captain to have switched race for no discernible reason, um, starting off as a black male and then whitewashing himself. Well, you know, Michael Jackson did it. Michael Jackson did it, but he was not a captain. No, not of the Enterprise, nor anything else. No. Maybe um, of Funk, I guess. I don't know. Actually, Gene Roddenberry. Um, Is he your favorite captain? No, <laughs> no, not by, not by a long shot. Um, <clears throat> Gene Roddenberry portrayed portrayed this character in like a some encyclopedia or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. So wh- then, wh- then they, why they get do you like this guy? For, because because he starts off black and becomes white. It's just it's interesting. Is that an allegory? <laughs> he's um he's he's an African American in Star Trek Discovery. I don't think anybody in Star Trek's American. That's kind of a oh. No, no no Mitch, Mitch, you see that's that's how we refer to them um uh, politely. It doesn't matter if they're American or not, nor does it matter if they're African. They're just always African American. I see. Mm-hmm. Now I always thought that in the age of space travel most people would be rather pale. Because they're not spending that much time exposed to the sun. Yeah, sure, sure. I, you know, I, I'd imagine they have a lot of things wrong with them. Speaking of which, let's talk about Tuvok for a little bit. Who's uh, Tuvok? Tuvok is the Vulcan on Voyager. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, oof. I really like Tuvok. And the, I, I've never watched the original series. So to me, it, it se- seemed like a big challenge to write a faithful Vulcan into the main cast, like someone who's uh, emotionless and driven by pure logic mm-hmm. seemed like they would be a, a boring character to have to contend with on the regular. But Yeah, sure. Um, Tuvok is quite compelling in a lot of ways. And I am happy for his inclusion. In addition to Janeway, he's another one of the brighter spots of Voyager. Well, that's good. Yes. And the the performance is also pretty good, which is strange to say about something intentionally monotone, but um I like it a lot. Have you um have you seen have you seen anything from that Strange New World show which we were not invited? Um no, based on not to... being invited, I swore it off. Yeah. Um I'm I'm a little little angry about it. they they made Ahura not hot. It's kind of unfortunate. Which is annoying, right? Yeah, I uh I wanted to coom. Yeah, me too, but uh So wait, it they use I, the same characters with different well obviously different actors, but they they Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this is about this is about Pike's command on the Enterprise. So it's got Spock, it's got Uhura and Well I, I guess that's pretty much it in terms of the old okay. the old cast. But I mean Kirk I no, you know, you know, George Kirk is there. So this is a prequel to everything but Enterprise. Yes, I see. To which it is an intercool, or a something sequel. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe a sequel. Right. Well, I have very little interest in it, but once I get through Voyager, I'm going to have to watch Enterprise, and once I finish Enterprise, <laughs> I imagine I'll kill myself, but. 
Um, <laughs> who knows for really? <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm kind of like uh, uh, morbidly interested in Strange New Worlds just to see if they can possibly make anything that's come it comes even close to to, to normal Star Trek. Well, the idea that, of, you know, of a episodic uh, space travel adventure Trek show made in 2022 is is very very appealing. Um, it's it's brave for sure, but I feel like there's definitely going to be a lot of quips. Why can't things just be quiet and slow? Yeah, I mean, like, actually have some kind of genuine emotion put into them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I could go either way, really. Genuine emotion that's not, um, oh, zany, having fun, quips. Yeah, that happened. Or, um, dry, emotionless sounds of computers humming <laughs> that's what i listen to to go to sleep yeah turn on the uh the, the night shift on on the uh the enterprise d youtube video listen to the computer sounds it's comfy it actually it really is it's nice you, you can, in fact i might turn it on now you can role play as being like oh i'm on the night watch right um, yeah i no one's here so i'm gonna sit in the captain's chair Ooh, hoo, hoo. And, That's probably uh, what Data does. A Data doesn't get enjoyment out of it the same way we would, though. He, Data wouldn't feel like he's getting away with something, which is core to the reason to do it. You know, right, right. I'm listening to it right now. It's uh, it's very, very, very comfy. This so, video has like a like a 3D modeled like you know the entire circumference of of the bridge. Like I'm looking at the view screen right now. It's comfy. You never wow. really see a three three D model of uh, no, not a three D model. You never really see the whole space because it's always that cutout wall when looking at the, yeah. the back. Yeah. Um, this the whole Star Trek VR VR Enterprise thing. Mm -hmm. That was always a cool idea. It's a cool idea. I would like if it was anything but the original series. Yes. Right. There, there really should be one for all of these. Like, uh, there should be comms inside deep space nine i don't think the the voyager bridge is all that compelling to be honest um, yeah but it's still better aesthetically than the the original series is it's just too it's too 60s sci-fi for me i i buy that the chairs the way they like swivel it's 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 got this this thing like everything looked so industrial like like they they had a very um limited idea of of what the future would look like I, I suppose where everything's just this this one shade of shiny metal right and it's ugly and i i don't i don't know i don't know why people like it i mean it's it's sort of quaint when you watch it in like old godzilla films or something but that's that's as far as it goes really yeah the the other sets haven't aged in such a bad way no relative no, to not. um the original series bridge like uh tng's bridge is great um very comfy that that horseshoe design is is just wonderful um with that with that wood fucking <laughs> centerpiece yeah um the oh ops ops that's that's what it's called in deep space nine ops is also very very well designed i like that a lot mm -hmm. does um, it have an alien casino in it? it not not an ops that's that's on the <laughs> uh the promenade you see uh, yes, but 
part of Deep Space Nine's uh, appeal is the both the set design and the in in world design of Deep Space Nine, the space station, and that extends to yeah. things like Ops. So very big fan of that. Ops Ops is like I don't know. Ops is kind of harsh, I think. How's that? It's got this sort of like um, utilitarian sort of look to it. Yeah, and the uh, obviously you can justify anything with lore, but in the lore of the show, it's it's a it's a Cardassian space station that right. is uh, then handed over to the Federation, and in that sense, a lot of the set design um, resonates. Uh, it's sure. it's harsh, it's unwieldy, and um, that's often that often comes through in the way characters interface with it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it, it works in a lot of ways. Um, and Voyager's bridge, I would not say is great, but I would also not say that it aged poorly. I, I think just from the get-go, it was kind of a middling design. Um, whereas yeah, sh- something sure. like the original series, you can get into the mindset of, okay, in the 60s, I, I can understand designing it this way. It didn't age well, but um, for the time, it was probably fine. Whereas uh, I think with Voyager, it was always just destined to be middling. It's a little too cold for for what it. Yeah, the blue, uh, the I, blues I, I, in it kind of get me. Um, yeah, it's very very blue steel. Cold steel, if you will. Cold steel, indeed. So I'm not a big fan. Um, that's kind of indicative of Voyager as a whole. It's like Trek, but worse. Yeah, <laughs> which is still a step above Trek, but terrible, which is what we get today. Or it's not Trek at all, but it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A- anyway, you, anyway, did, you ever watch TNG? Sometimes, yeah, a few yeah. episodes. Well, um, I watched a few episodes recently. <laughs> Would you like to talk about them? Uh, I guess. <laughs> All right. We have uh, the most toys, which is um, one of your favorite episodes. Yeah, I think this is a top three, perhaps top five episode of the series, and I don't have well, any reservations about that. Um, uh, nor do you have anything to back it up. I think it's self-evident. <laughs> I hold these truths to be self-evident. Um, it, it is a it's it's a good episode. It, it is a good episode, and I think that it presents a lot of, not a lot of, but the ideas it presents are quite compelling, especially towards the very end when it comes down to Data's um, capacity for violence, I should say. Yeah, yeah, and we get this like dumb cop-out ending. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of that, but it is very explicit, the choice that Data made. even if Yeah, it's... sure, I mean, anyone with half a brain can kind of infer that, like, yeah, well, he teach was trying to kill the guy well i think it is just explicit no inference needed because they say that the weapon was discharged at the point of of transport oh yeah i i suppose so i suppose so i just uh, yeah i i forgot what my umbrage was here and it it's with them teleporting him out the last second so he's not technically a murderer what timing i know i mean i yeah that, that bothered me i think that in the you know star trek has to present an idealized world with that in mind it's fine to have uh, Data not be a literal murderer, but 
the fact that he's still portrayed as um, having intended to commit the act is is enough to to make it uh, a compelling situation. You know. Yeah, there's something there, I guess. It's just I don't know. Maybe him having to go through having actually done that is. I don't know. I think it's, it would have been important for his character. I agree, but I think that would have been a different episode. At the point that it appears that 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 action, it's at the very end. There, there would be no time for Data to adequately process that or for the episode to explore mm-hmm. it. So you'd either have to make it a two-part episode or rewrite it such that this occurs earlier. And I think, or that... maybe he, he can he can memory wipe himself at the end. <laughs> either of those would have been fine, by the way. Um, to get into this, have Data kill a man and spend a lot of time going through it. Yeah, that might have been a nice little halfway thing, because, I mean, a lot of the episode was... I, I wouldn't say it was redundant, but there was a lot of action inside just, like, one room. I didn't mind that so much. I mean, it plays to the idea of, I don't know, captivity or whatever you want to want to call it, but mm. um, it was fine to me having the, the the escape sequence i thought was a little silly very low octane <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah they just kind of <laughs> walk through a hallway traips into a uh, into a hangar and then some guys in uh onesies jump out <laughs> <laughs> but i really like i like data-centric episodes just his um oh yeah the back totally. and forth between him and Fajo, where data is uh in his own way kind of probing and making sense of the situation are mm-hmm. always going to be somewhat compelling for me yeah yeah and I, I i was really happy with um well we eventually ended up with a different actor for Fajo than we initially um mm. had hired but uh he does a great job yeah, like he's really good. It's it's funny because he he's cartoonishly evil, which you would normally mm-hmm. associate with either bad performance or bad writing. And yeah. I think this episode has neither of those when it comes to Fajo. Um, sure, totally. He's just a completely uh amoral character that makes sense and is fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he knows he he knows he's amoral and he doesn't really care, and that's fine, because what he cares about is collecting things. Right, collecting his Funko Pops. He has, some would say, the most toys. He has the most toys. Yeah, as we uh, get treated to, and that was part I... of the fun part of that set. Um, seeing the collection was nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although. Um the uh uh the the writer that she had some problems with that didn't she yeah i mean i i'm trying to remember the prerogative that she gave she was adamant that the collection had what was it no earth shit like the no mona lisa shit. or whatever but mm-hmm. um she handed over the script and had the idea and said okay this is he's an alien collector there's no earth shit she would say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um which yeah. gene agreed to but then he kind of made the executive decision to put in the the baseball card and the motor right, right. and whatnot and the uh, um hmm? the 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 card in particular i think he was very fond of he was into collecting at that time right right in in some ways gene had the most toys but in some ways yeah <laughs> in a lot of ways he did 
the writer didn't realize until the episode aired. What was it Sherry? Sherry wrote this? Sherry, Sherry, yep, yep, yeah. yep. And after that, she quit, but, you know. Yeah, she was not. Uh, it uh, wasn't her vision, but it was still a great episode. It was a vision. Right. And um, things things did start to kind of spiral out of control when, when the set guys, they had set up this whole corner of of that display room um, with, with old Nazi propaganda posters. Right, Brent stuff. And um, Brent stuff, yes, which was surprising. I didn't, I didn't take him for a man of culture. But um, yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's he's very into um, all that sort of paraphernalia, and mm. uh, decided to very graciously um, loan it out to uh, to to the set guys. And um, you'll notice too when you watch the episode, there's like a whole corner of that room you just don't see. And um, <clears throat> basically, the issue was a couple of the higher ups just kept kvetching about it until. Um, I guess until they had to completely ax it and, mm. and reshoot any scene that, that kind of was facing uh, into that corner, which it's a shame. There's a, a real history on display there. I remember Brent holding back tears when we had to explain to him that it wasn't going to work out. Yeah, and yeah. I think he, he said something in German, too. Right. I'm not sure what it was. Yeah, I, I, never, I never brushed up on my German, but um, I could tell with the the solitary tear running down his face that mm-hmm. his honor had been trampled upon. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was a little pissed. He says, if I remember right, there's something like Juden. I'm, I'm not really sure. It was but, um, well, I, I know he was a big Beatles fan. Was he like, hey, Juden? Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 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 scene where he stares sort of autistically like Chris Chan at the Mona Lisa made me laugh. Oh, it was Kino. Um, just <laughs> yeah, a very small moment, but I would say that the 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 facial performance, the physical acting of Brent was was quite good there, where he <laughs> it looked like you know his smile looked like a a vague facsimile facsimile of mm-hmm. uh, the Mona Lisa, and it's it was off, but it's like Data's trying to get it, he can't really get it. It's just right cute little moment. And it's like, okay, yeah, what, sure. what is Data going to do for the other, you know, 23 hours of the day when Fajo's not around? Right. And it's right. Uh, just, just fuck around. Now, do you remember, I don't know how many weeks ago, I asked you a trivia question about something, and you didn't get it. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Okay. Ah. Uh, uh, it was 100 dank years of phenoplaque. Did did we talk about this? This you, There was one week where you did not have a question of the week. I'm sorry, okay. a, a trivia. And yeah. I asked you, what is 100 dank years of phenoplaque? 100 dank years? Is that like a, like a, a Klingon translation of 100 years of solitude? <laughs> not quite. That is what Fajo asks... The replicator for it's the acid he throws oh. on data oh wow okay and uh this 100 is 100 denkiers of phenoplaque that's the episode this is from or this is the episode that's from i i don't remember this at all actually do you remember him throwing acid on data <laughs> no i remember this i don't remember you asking me about it oh well he might have been drunk at the time we were recording the podcast <laughs> yeah maybe so several Several dank years, but that's uh, just a little fun fact. We've now made it up to this point. 
we're really, that is fun. We're rap- that's a fun fact. Rapidly progressing through this show. At the same hey, this, rate, that's we that's the only thing that's there. rapidly progressing. Oh yeah, what what else? Our age, my Alzheimer's. Nice. <laughs> so recently, I've been um, playing a lot of chess to stave off Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Really bad at it. Just yeah, really bad. What's what's your rating right now? Oh, it started. I think they start you at a thousand. Do they? Maybe oh, twelve hundred. Okay. And uh, I think I've. I've, if I've played 10 games, I've won one of them. Okay. Just rapidly dropping down. I think, I think I'm like 950 right now. That's probably better than me. Um, I, I'm probably like 870, somewhere around there. Okay. But yeah, I mean, either way, it's not impressive at all. No, but I, I realize that I play all these games where nobody trades pieces for 15, 20 turns. Mm-hmm. And then the board state gets so complex that I make, I blunder something and it all cascades from there. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. You make one wrong move in chess and often you're just, you're that's it. A lot like life really. Yeah. It's going to slip um, that simmer. Um, so do you want to start with the so beginning of these? I guess we most... might as well start from the beginning. Would you like to start from the beginning? Here's an idea. Yeah. Let's start from the beginning. All right. And and just go from there. All right. So Data shoots Fajo, and then he gets transported back to the end. Oh, no. 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 That's the end. Oh, shit. That's the end. Oh, my God. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. I'll cut it. I'll cut it. I can't. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Uh, How there's d- something about the water supply of Beta Agni 2. You have to have that in your notes. There's absolutely no way that you remember the phrase Beta Agni 2. No, I, I remember because it, it sounds funny. It does sound funny. <laughs> Beta Agni sounds like a silent film star. <laughs> uh, I'm quite the fan of Beta Agni, actually. Some Beta Agni, some fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> yeah, uh, they need something to decontaminate the water supply or something. Yeah, and it's a highly dangerous material, very volatile. Because of course it is. Right. Well, I mean, and, uh, that is part of the scheme here. Um, it, it's not arbitrary for once. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yes, you're right. Um, so Fajo, Fajo, how do you Fa- pronounce his Fajo. name? Fajo. It's Fajo. Yeah. Um, Fago. He. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. Um, he he curiously has uh, volunteered to sell this to the uh, the Federation, right? Right. Um, to the Enterprise specifically, and Data because it's volatile, dangerous. Data is the only one fit to transport it because he's not a he's not a human being, much to his chagrin. Um, mm-hmm. So Data is in a little shuttle. He's kind of going back and forth. Uh, with making various trips, transporting the shit, and then bam, shuttle blows up. Shuttle blows up. Shuttle blows up. Shuttle blows up, and um, of course, the Enterprise crew assumes that he's in there because, um, as has been established several times, they can't detect if Data's in the shuttle because he's not a human. Doesn't have any life signs. Which uh, really, really works out. Really works out here. And Jordy um, is is absolutely racked with guilt. Right. That's despite him uh, not having much of a rack at all. Right, right. Yeah, he's he's 
virtually rackless. Right. With the or without rack. The um so so Picard, you know, he calls Fajo and he's like, you know, what's what's going on? Can we get like the data from that launch or whatever? And they they, they spend like a minimal <laughs> amount of time on it before they And Fajo says, No, we can't give you the data. He just blew up. <laughs> Sorry. Um they 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 decide they decide that uh in the interest of time they need to um immediately take this volatile substance to the planet that they they need to decontaminate or whatever yeah it's not so and... suspicious in the way that it's portrayed no um and they scan like the the uh the debris and all of the data's, wreckage brother yeah all of data's core components are found there in the right proportions um <laughs> which is the one part of the scheme that seemed a little hand wavy to me the fact yeah like they show them scanning data and listing off what they need to put in the shuttle but having that on hand and it's stupid it is why would they know the specifications of uh uh noonian soong's androids that are uh basically the most unique creations probably in the entire galaxy you know what data should have done is say to fajo you know fajo my brother lore is out there i'm not actually the only one <laughs> well, I I don't think he knows Lore is alive still. Oh, uh, that's probably true. I don't really remember Data Lore, but that's probably true. Yeah, I, I don't think we're supposed to know he's alive at this point. Okay. Well, he probably wasn't alive at this point until one of the writers just said, "Hey, I don't have any ideas. How about Lore?" Well, I guess I guess he was never really alive. That's true. That's true. Well, I I, I do hope that uh, Fajo uh, eventually. Was able to get his hands on lore at least. I hope he was able to turn his life around mm. and become a productive member of space society. Space society. <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah. So they, the Enterprise, fucks off. They got a mission to do. They're they all got stuff to do. They're all kind of sad, but they're also like, all right, we got, you know, we're we're workers. Data was just a thing. They're professionals. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then Data wakes up in in Fajo's sex lair. Right. And his sex lair indeed. It's sex lair indeed. Sex lair indeed. And sex uh, lair in sex lair indeed. This is where the thrust of the episode is introduced. Fajo being a collector, Data being a a unique object, um, which is just in and of itself a good concept. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. It is a really good concept. I, I like it a lot. Hmm. Is a little chair that he wants Data to sit in. Right. Just has a complete lack of respect for Data, which kind of makes sense in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. The way that he talks to him, uh, just kind of like snapping his fingers around, using fragmented sentences, talking. I, I am somewhat surprised that uh, he he wouldn't want to have him kind of accompany him around the ship. You know what I mean? Because because that's that's kind of his like unique ability as as you know if you consider him an object. Mm. It's like he can move around and function right. and stuff. Like that. You know, bring bring data into the uh, the dining room when you have your guest over. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Have, have him like serve the food or whatever. I, I'm I'm surprised that uh, they didn't go in that direction because that feels like the natural. Yeah, they could have thing, thing to be doing. They could have pushed it further. You can make like a justification. Oh. Um... Fajo's worried about Data escaping, 
or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter at all, but... No, but, it, you know, it is one way that you could have taken the episode. Um, but I guess he would have escaped if he did let him out, yeah. He did try to escape. Mm -hmm. But Data being held captive there with the chair and all that, it creates for in interesting situations, especially later on when Data has his little active rebellion uh, when Fajos brings a guest over. Which was great. That was that was funny. That was a very good um, good idea for yep. a scene. Where you, you, you just have these two asshole rich collectors kind of trying to one-up each other. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And Data having kind of an astute plan of, um, you know, the, his way of sticking it to Fajo, just working out completely. Yeah. And, the, and uh, the, the absolute face plant he does, too. Good, good physical acting. Yeah. Which <laughs> I... I, I I wouldn't imagine was Brent, but I don't remember. Have you ever tried to do that? No, no. To just but I imagine fall it's down. difficult to not instinctually try to brace yourself. Yeah, I've practiced this, believe it or not. And um, after watching the episode, were you inspired? No, believe I practiced this before <laughs> ever watching the episode. <laughs> and um, oh, so you you really related then? Yeah. It's it's not easy to do, and it takes a very concerted effort. Mm -hmm. Why were you practicing this? I I was a strange child. Did you have a bit role in something? Well, I had a Kaiser role in a number of things. <laughs> you know me. A, a role fit for a Kaiser. <laughs> the yeah. Um... Between the words Kaiser, Kaiser, and Czar, and Caesar. <laughs> it's all language is a um what is it a, a symbiote circle yes 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 you must understand this. a flat wheel <laughs> they are all very funny words they are caesar caesar as a title is almost like calling someone a dracula <laughs> yes and uh, it never stops being funny. Uh, I'm very into um, a Dracula. <laughs> oh no, it's a Dracula! I think we've discussed our affinity for this on the podcast. Yeah, before. yeah at least two or three times. <laughs> I don't know how this keeps coming up, but but it does. Um, uh, okay, so so um, what? what's what's his name? Fajo, Jordy, Fajo. Fajo Fajo is adamant about data uh getting into a different outfit. Yes, one more sexy than anything we've seen before. Right, he he doesn't he doesn't like him being in a Starfleet outfit. Um and so so he he does he does throw the uh the the, the caustic yeah. Huh. What what is it? What is it? Um hold on. Back to my notes. Pheno plaque, Pheno plaque. What he throws 100 dank years of it. Yes, 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 yes. Which a hundred denkers, a whole hundred denkers. It's so weird to me how on and off Trek is about uh, Earth measurements and alien measurements. <laughs> yeah. It occurred to me that um, on Voyager, there's a character of a race that lives, whose race has an average lifespan of like nine years or something. Mm -hmm. And that's more or less a core part of her character. Um, but... Are they like dog people? 
<laughs> no, but that would be inspired. Um, so, you know, they have nine years to live, but it occurs to me that, well, how long is a year, right? It's one revolution of a planet around the sun. It's sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all we know, one year of that race race's life on their planet is uh, equal to three years on, on Earth or whatever. You know, it's it's arbitrary. You, it's a fake planet right. and a fake sun, so you could write it however you want to, but it's never really expanded upon. So it's just... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's just annoying to me how sure. randomly things are beholden to, to Earth standards and, and sometimes they're not. I was actually reading about this um, in the context of Star Wars, uh-huh. where um, I, I was reading about the standard week on Coruscant. And how um, many days? There's five days. Okay. And it's it's Prime Day, Syntax Day, Tongs Day, Zell Day, or maybe Gel Day, and then Bendu Day. These are just and, terrible um, names. I want I want to make a mug that says thanks thank <laughs> thank God it's Tongs Day. <laughs> That's a T-shirt right there. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, but but here's the best part. There are 10 months in a standard year, which only added up to 350 days. Mm-hmm. However, 368 days make up a year. Therefore, the missing 18 days were made up of three festival of, of FET weeks plus three regular annual holidays. Here, so, yeah, the, like the year just stops for, for like 18 days. That's that's hilarious, but even within that, it is still arbitrary. The idea of what is a day, how many days in a week, you could, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you could you could rewrite any one planet's I don't know calendar any number of ways mm-hmm. that you want. Earth has several calendars. We use the, the Gregorian calendar, yeah, obviously, sure. but sure, it's not set in stone. So, just having like oh, their weeks are five days. It doesn't really say anything about the planet in an objective scientific sense it just cultural it's a cultural thing um, yeah and no science fiction has ever really i mean i would say it never adequately dived into this obviously because it's not very compelling television <laughs> but it's 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 too heady really i mean there's there's nothing to really be gained from it i guess right 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 you said it's it's the same same reason that you have a problem with like the universal translator or whatever yes it's just kind of a thing you have to you have to suspend your disbelief for which i i do understand the frustration with it. can i it's it's stupid can i bring up another issue with the universal translator real quick yeah sure so on an episode of voyager they go into a cryogenic chamber on a planet in the delta quadrant and find several human beings who were abducted in the year 1937 including mm. amelia Earhart. oh god and they they un uh, freeze them from cryostasis. And there's a Japanese guy there. And, mm-hmm. you know, when they come out, everybody's talking, the Japanese guy's speaking English or whatever, and they're like, oh, you're, you're all speaking Japanese. How do you... How? And uh, Janeway says, well, it's our universal translator, and she points to the com badge, which is apparently where that is. <laughs> what? And it's... The Enterprise crew is wearing... I'm sorry, Enterprise. The Voyager crew is wearing comm badges. None of the people who are freed from cryostasis are, but they're all conversing with each other and the Voyager crew. So it's... It's so stupid. 
it's 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 very vague if if it's like a a sending or receiving type of thing exactly in the way it's portrayed here it both the the communication sent and uh received wearing a com badge on one's chest is enough right right it's it's like if if one person has it it's 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 you're good right two other Um, people who don't have it can talk together right Right, right. It's it's not it's not like Four Swords Adventures where you all need the, the, the game pack. Which was just a terrible, terrible anti consumer move. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't I like details in science fiction. Some might say mm-hmm. to an autistic degree. Yeah, it sounds like you would you would really be like a prime consumer for like a Star Trek encyclopedia. Yeah, but I Having these things in in apocrypha and secondary sources is never going to entice me as much as them being worked into a narrative in the uh, yeah in the show. Yeah, I I, I had always kind of just like headcanon the uh, the Universal Translator is like the like a kind of babblefish type thing from Hitchhiker's Guide, right? Where, where you, you shove it into your ear and forget about it for the sake of plot convenience. Basically, yeah. Yeah, I. Uh... I can't suspend my disbelief. No. Obviously, I can. It doesn't keep me up at night, but... It... To a degree, you can, but it's like, you still think about it, yeah. Right. And I would probably not think about it if science fiction and Star Trek weren't heralded as being relatively heady. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of the most uh, highly regarded in terms of... Um having having plots that uh, that are more than just you know shooting bad guys or whatever exactly so i um i'll bring it up every time it comes up it's uh mm-hmm. it's bring just, it up every episode it's probably fucking that's, that's just good podcasting oh hell yeah they uh um, just talking about the same thing over oh uh, mitch is talking about the translator again let me skip ahead 10 minutes let me let me uh let me make a t-shirt out of that real quick and you get it audience well that's our reaction to everything <laughs> let me make a t-shirt out of that whenever i go to the convenience store and i have the same conversation with the uh the, the clerk at the register i like let me make a t-shirt out of that and then i wear that t-shirt so that they 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 get the reference when i go back yeah i uh tuck it into my jeans with my gun <laughs> hanging over the, the belt buckle <laughs> I, I, I go up to the register and point out i'm like hey huh 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 you remember i always wear my if you can read this you're too close t-shirt to the convenience store <laughs> <laughs> that's funny I, I always wear my uh my my gaming t-shirt game uh, gaming leave me alone <laughs> i always wear my fart loading t-shirt <laughs> oh man i oh. i feel like we both had that experience right of, of wearing those shirts at, at a certain point um in our childhoods yeah i was um i wore a lot of video game t-shirts that were like promotional mm. material promotional swag right, sure. and just completely disgusting unfashionable ill-fitting um circus tent like yeah <laughs> it's it's even more embarrassing when we're both 40 years old doing this exactly uh, <laughs> i you know i i have my t-shirt welcome to idiotville population you 
I'm with stupid arrow pointing upward. Should <laughs> <laughs> um, should have just taken those off and, and just, just burned them on the spot. Um, uh, speaking of, though, speaking of, um, to bring this back around to uh, dissolving Data's clothes, mm-hmm. as if he were wearing um, a graphic tee, <laughs> now I'm just thinking if Fajo made Data dress up with a graphic tee, like a stupid, like Macy's graphic tee, like circa 2000. Don't bother uh, me. I'm an android. <laughs> and you're just enough RAM to. <laughs> um, I, I, I do want to note that we had a. A completely different actor for for uh, for Fajo yes. initially, and and you can see this on the Blu-ray too. Actually, um, we had um, we had David Rappaport, um, a funny little fella, yeah. And um, we we had shot a scene actually that this this uh, scene of him throwing the acid onto Data that that took its place. Um, but yeah, we we shot a scene with with David Rappaport where. We had him strip Data down at gunpoint, right? Like Data took his own clothes off, and um, the the shot cut back to his face, and he he was just kind of staring, marveling at his um, Data's, you you know, his 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 his, thing. his, his Data, his Data, um, and the we got we got Brent's actual real um, package, the the shadow to cast over his face, uh, over Fajo's face, um. And and I mean the the issue, the issue obviously is the, the little midge tried to off himself of course and um, we had to recast uh, we got a great actor um, but then then it was gonna be that um, we were gonna refilm this scene with uh, Fajo's girlfriend instead right hmm. what's what's her name do you remember her name does she have a name it, Varia I think was it Varia I think it was Varia like the Varia suit. Uh, yeah, like the Vario suit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Fajo was going to order her to to do it, and um, th- the issue, I guess, with that is that they just couldn't get the proportions right. Um, mm. Casting that shadow over the face of a full grown woman. Mm. Uh, so, so we ended up with this acid scene. Um, Which still, was a little still bit a good of, scene. Little lore. It was a good scene. Yeah. Fun fact about Varia: I remember we scouted her from one of the the burn victim units at the local hospital. That's right. That's right. I don't. I forgot about that. I don't. I don't really remember the motivation for doing that, but but it added to the episode. I think. I think one of the casting guys had um had their home burned down at the time. Ah, and maybe this was cathartic. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really know. Oh, well, well, Varya, I know was inspiration for several. Um, visual novels in the years to come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we got a lot of mail too. All right. You know, I I, I feel so seen. Mm. That kind of stuff. Right, like um, those kids with with the uh, the the fringy bangs in the early two thousands. Right. Feel very seen. Very seen. I I, I was just watching uh, a couple hours ago at um a YouTube video called like two thousand six skateboard video. That was the title. Yeah. Oh God. 
Okay. And uh, it had exactly the kind of kids you would you would think uh, would would be in a video like that in two thousand six. Like those kids who um, filmed the the Kingdom Hearts battle reenactment in the Walmart parking lot. Well, yeah, but but much more attractive. I see. Wait, you don't think those kids were hot little numbers? <laughs> um, I mean, I, all attractive except for the the one token female of the group who's frumpy and. Um, all, all, all the kids try to hook up with her, and usually do. They just pass her around. Like a like a hookah. Like a hot potato. I don't know why that I enjoyed that so much. Hot potato. <laughs> um. So um, on the Enterprise, yeah. Jordy is in trying to investigate what happened with Data. Yeah, 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 and he's kind of um. The issue, I guess, is that Picard is kind of at the point where he's he's convinced that Data's basically dead and thinks Jordy's spending um, so much time on the investigating this is 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 kind of just it's it's a waste of time, really. Right, and he he indulges Jordy's um, I don't know emotional need for closure. But he, he calls also, him Jordy again. Yeah, I, I have that in my notes, by the way. But uh, <laughs> but he is stern about Jordy needing to perform his duties. But in that scene, Jordy's like, "Oh, Captain, I think this, that, and the, I, there's no way." And Picard says, "Oh, Jordy, you must be well rested for duty. I expect you to, you know, do whatever." Jordy says, mm -hmm. "Okay." Turns to leave. Ah, Jordy, wait. And uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> just you know, the the archetypical you know captain and subordinate scene that yeah sure sure infinite times over this this function. you gotta have it though yeah i mean picard is uh an understanding man mm -hmm. for sure um do we have fish watch on this episode do we have fish watch um i don't no. think it's i don't I, think there was a fish i know this scene was in the conference room not the ready room no i thought it was in the ready room really i think it was the conference room I'm pretty sure it was the ready room. Uh, we'll we'll argue about this later. <laughs> Ad nauseum before we go to bed, <clears throat> and probably while we're sleeping too. It's a it's like a Daffy Duck situation. Conference room, ready room. <laughs> conference room, ready room. Conference room, ready room. Ready room. Conference room. Jesus. But I do, I do uh, think that Jordy's obsession kind of holds water. If the only explanation totally. is pilot error, then there is no way that um, Data no. fell victim to that. No, totally. Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. There's, there's nothing to really criticize here. It's, it's a proper little B plot. Works well. Connects to the, the other, the other plot. Um, it also speaks to their relationship, Data and Jordy as yeah. he's the one most emotionally affected whereas definitely yeah. Picard is much more he's yeah he's he grieves a little bit but he's ready to replace data and move on um, yeah with with Worf for some reason <laughs> this is a big 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 deal for Worf <laughs> is Worf smart enough to to replace data at ops he's uh he has enough guile to do so he's he has enough klingon guile <laughs> I, I I have I have this sentence in my notes, uh, mm -hmm. where I've typed your first watch at ops, 
Who said that? Is there like an ellipsis there or an apostrophe? Your your period first watch it ops question mark. Your first watch it ops. Yes, something like that. Troy. It's it is Troy, right? Yes. The most clumsily delivered line. My God. Well, Troy has never delivered any line in a believable fashion. Much less Marina. Much less Marina. That's, which which is what, what they used to say all the time in the writer's room. Right, that's what every episode needs. Much less Marina. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so... Um, Alright, so yeah, eventually they... Um, Data and... Bajo's girlfriend hatch out this little plan to escape, right? Because she doesn't really like him either. Well, what happens is that when Data enacts his petty revenge on Fajo by not entertaining his guest... Oh, yeah, he threatens to kill her. Yes. And then that signals to Varya that she has to get out of this situation, and Data's her best shot. So... Mm-hmm. They, they hatch this Which, plan. I'm curious, was... Do you know if this was in the, um... The script with the, uh, the, the, the data's head script? I think that, that, it must have been, because with data's head, if it was just data's head, he could not escape on his own, so he would need an accomplice of some sort. So I am at, oh, hold on, let me explain here. Yeah, putting the cart before the horse. Um, yeah. The original version of this episode just had data's head being stolen and his body would like you know flop around on the enterprise doing sign language or you know whatever it was and right. um th that version of the script was called head games probably the worst script a writer ever turned in um just just terrible yeah but, we we uh we we made fun of that for years to come yeah uh, uh it's another head games we would say yeah 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 <laughs> now that head games was always the the standard by which we judged the fan submitted scripts mm -hmm. um better or worse than head games and a good i don't know 90 percent of them were even worse than that so once again yeah. the fans could not hack it but anyway um in the head games version of the script there was a varia there was a, an accomplice of some sort i don't know how many of the details whether it was a burn victim whether it was just some yeah, guy yeah. But I guess I guess they would have had to have someone kind of carry his head under their their armpit like a football, and... right? Stuff it into a duffel bag and unzip it. Data's like looking up, <laughs> like, like he's a cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shh, be quiet. I think they... ask him a question. He just starts going on a rant. Like I, I think, shut up. I think head games somehow took place in like a intergalactic high school. And uh, Data would just be in, in someone's bag during class. And he'd be like, well, actually, yeah. the answer to this. And it's like, shoot, Data, they're going to hear you. <laughs> uh, Data gains the power to turn uh, his captor into a magical girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Um, but like we said. Head games never came to fruition. No, no. Instead, instead we got this piece of shit. Yeah. Um, the most, the most toys. The most toys. Most toys. And uh, yeah, so so most toys. So they do escape. Um, they make it to the hangar. Varia, yeah, Varia, Varia gets killed. 
by um, Bajo wielding a an illegal disruptor. Right. One so sinister that it tears the body apart from the inside out. Yeah, when he was describing it, he made it sound a lot slower than it actually was. Yeah, it was probably a painful one and a half seconds, but... <laughs> Honestly, I want to go out like that. <laughs> yeah, just torn asunder from the inside. Yeah, I mean, if it only takes a few seconds, whatever. Yeah, it's, um... You know, they say your life flashes before your eyes when you die. Mm. In instead, this time her... Her, uh, her colon flashed before her eyes. Well, I was going to say, if it was you, all that would flash before your eyes is hours and hours of podcast recording. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it's true. We are very prolific podcasters. Yes, yes. Um, we cast pods, we cast lines uh, out into the sea. We cast shadows. It's only on sunny days. Hmm. Now, here's a question. Vampires um, don't. <laughs> Vampires don't have a reflection, which is presumably having to do with the way that light reflects on them, or does not. Sure. Do vampires cast a shadow then? No, I'm pretty sure they don't. Okay. Now. Right? Okay. Now, taking this logically one step further. If light does not bounce off of vampires such that they cast neither reflections nor shadows, then how do we see them at all? A good question. Hmm. Yeah, sometimes they don't cast a shadow. That's what I'm getting. Only sometimes. Okay. Now, can they cross a river if you invite them to do so? But only if you invite them, yes. I see, I see. See, I never invite anybody into my apartment on the assumption that they may be vampiric. <laughs> I don't, I don't um, entertain much for that reason. Right, right. Well, you never want a Dracula in your house. No, no. Neither a Dracula nor Dracula nor Alucard. Unless, unless they, unless they try to make it their castle. Right. And um, a man's home is his castle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that point you'd be cucked out of your own home right and castle doctrine would be in effect so you you gotta watch <laughs> out <laughs> would it be a queen side castle or a king side castle i think it'd be a long castle mm. Mm. now long long castle silvers the thing about castling is that it's a very underutilized maneuver by low level players yeah definitely and low level vampires for that for that mm -hmm, matter mm -hmm. yeah yes and that is true yeah you don't really see a lot i mean uh I, I remember playing chess with um my grandfather and my father back in the day they never castled at all did they have chess back then <laughs> oh shut up mitch <sighs> you can tell a lot by the way a man castles mm-hmm for me, I always make the, the king and the rook kiss before swapping them around. <laughs> I mean, imagine that, you know, you're passing by, you know, your your um, your beloved or your sex friend and, you know, you just give him a little peck. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and in this situation, I'm the king and I'm passing by a, a large stone turret. 
<laughs> I can't like, help what? myself. It's like christening a building, you know? You ever... <laughs> yeah. you, it's the ceremonial shovel that breaks the ground and cuts the ribbon. Um, This kind of starts to beg the question, why do these things move? It's kind of scary, isn't it? It kind of goes antithetical to what a, what a turret is supposed to do. Yeah. Which is be stationary. Usually supposed you. to just stay there. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, a horsey's leaping over people. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Bishops m only moving in uh, draconian, in nonsensical ways. That makes sense. <laughs> Pawns barely being able to move at all. And then the only being able to sneak attack diagonally. That sounds about right. Until they succeed in life and change their gender. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the rook's moving. It's very like it's very Miyazaki esque. Right. Do you think that the designers of chess took influence from Miyazaki films? From from like Howl's Moving Castle. That's right. Howl's Moving Man's Home. <laughs> Hell's Moving Rook. <laughs> Now, I'm surprised that Hell's Moving Castle is not the name of a chess maneuver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, as, as opposed, like, to the Siciliano maneuver. Right, it's, um, it's the, the, the English Gambit, or the Sicilian Defense. Uh, how about the Queen's Gambit? Uh, I didn't watch. Hmm. I like chess, but I just have no interest in you, you You did play the board game. I did. I also played the Borg game. Mm -hmm. I will not expand on that. So, um, I, I, Data goes to escape, Varya gets shot, and through a series of, um, hijinks, Data subdues yeah. Fajo's men and then holds him at gunpoint with his, uh, fantastically dangerous phaser disruptor yep yep and fajo you know completely stays in character and is not really plussed by the situation he's non-plussed he's non-plussed that's right <laughs> <laughs> and uh he says you know data your programming is such that you won't kill me just go back in the fucking vault let's not deal with this and um i li really liked data's line uh something to the effect of i cannot allow this to continue which is very succinct while also completely summing up and rationalizing why data would commit murder. Yeah, totally, totally. He, and it's 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 a really cool um it's a cool moment because logically he he is very uh, against taking lives, but it's sort of at this moment when he discovers that there's a point where taking a life can save so many others. Exactly. And this is core to why I really like this episode, like this scene. Um, mm -hmm. Regardless of your opinion on the the tele on the transporting taking place when it does, um, this realization for Data is is so compelling to me that I hold yeah. this episode in in high regard. I like yeah, the no, rest I of totally it too, agree. but but this this moment is very strong. I think that, uh, even if this episode isn't maybe you know everyone's favorite episode or top three or top five or whatever this moment i would say this this one scene 
is probably one of the best. And, you know, it, the the ending kind of gets cucked by O'Brien, as we all do at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, Data gets transported out at the moment of firing the Disruptor. But the, the for the character's arc, the same thing happens. And I, I also like the way that he lies to Riker about what had transpired. That's that's oddly... I don't know if that's out of character, but it's it's... It, it operates on a higher level than I would genu- genu- generally expect of Data. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's out of character. I would say it's something that, I mean, he's he's still processing it as he's being transported and spoken to by Riker. And mm. it's something that he's he's obviously going to have to grapple with, uh, you know, right after. Because he's he's. You know, I think we've talked about this before, but you know, throughout throughout the series, he is becoming more and more human, really, and he has a, a lot of these moments where he displays a sort of emotion that you wouldn't expect from him, and he wouldn't expect from himself. So, I think this is one of those times, which is kind of the motivation for the final scene of the episode where he goes to mm-hmm. to visit Fajo in the brig. Yeah, and the. I don't know, the hollowness of this exchange also really works for me, where Fajo is kind of beside himself with defeat, and he says, oh, Data, you must really be enjoying this. You know, I had you captive, and now I, I'm captive in your ship. And mm-hmm. Data says, no, I don't I don't enjoy anything. I'm just a fucking robot. And the episode mm-hmm. ends. <laughs> Which well, you it, have to wonder, you yeah. know, if he's if he's even being truthful to himself there. I think he is. I think the reason the ending works is because of the the gap between the audience's joy of seeing Data triumph and his lack of satisfaction in any of the events that Yeah, yeah I suppose. I suppose. That that's what makes it that's what makes the ending interesting to me. Where every Data story, Data's never going to be on the same wavelength as the viewer insofar as their enjoyment or satisfaction. Um, he's always going to be kind of, um, you know, emotion agnostic. He's not, he doesn't, mm-hmm. he can't take satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. Which is neat. I think, um, to have, uh, a character, the audience intrinsically cannot relate to, but still roots for. Well, some of the audience can't. <laughs> That's true. Really. <laughs> the 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 other the other segment of the audience is um is is the segment that needs Troy to be in in every episode. I would enjoy a Troy reading of the data situation. Just every uh few seconds though. Data he he's not he's not showing any emotion. <laughs> Or Troy comes out and flat out, Fajo's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I am sensing great hostility, Captain. Good thing I that... I am sensing that, Captain, I am sensing that Fajo wants to collect things. Good thing that Troy wasn't on the bridge when they talked to Fajo. To be like, I'm, I'm sensing some dishonesty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what the hell never around when you need her you know what never mind fuck this episode 
Okay. What the hell? So here's the inherent um, question that must be asked. Do we dislike an episode because it has... It, it doesn't <laughs> use Troy in a logical way, or do we love the episode because it doesn't use Troy? <laughs> yeah, I, that's... Uh... That, that 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 sort of quandary it, it should have a name like an official name like the troy question <laughs> the troy paradox yeah <laughs> we gotta publish that one <laughs> um i would i would give this episode a solid five saucer steps wow wow i would probably say i would probably say four that's still pretty good writing yeah no it's good i i um I don't know. I wasn't terribly, um, uh, what's the word? Really mesmerized by the content per se, but the idea, the acting was good. And again, that's that one scene we talked about was very, very good. So even if like, I, I, I probably wouldn't like, if I put this episode back on, um, I probably wouldn't really sit there paying attention to it for the entire time, but mm. overall it's, it's, it is really good. This is one of the episodes that I can regular regularly put on again, um, mm-hmm. if I'm if I have the mood to watch some TNG during dinner or whatever. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. <clears throat> so I, uh, I mean, I've spoken of my fondness for it. I don't really need to elaborate more, but it's great. Refuses to elaborate. Refuses to elaborate. No. So normally I would ask you for. Um, some trivia, but wouldn't you know it? Yeah. Our, our episode's only half over. Ah, uh, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Um, and I'm actually going to make you cut it again. Jeez. Well, I could stand to use the bathroom as well. Um, yeah, well, let's let's take a brief intermission. All right, so we're going to take a break here. I'm going to let me make a note of the time code where this cuts. This is still being in. We're we're going to officially sign off. Um, what what minute is this? Maybe one fifty two. All right. So we're going to take a cut. We'll be back soon. Um, in this interim, you, I mean, you don't have to stay ready, or you can be as ready or not ready as you want. But Yeah, you'll be readier by the end. Yeah. We'll be back. And we're back. Um, astoundingly. And we're better than ever. The Hess truck's here. All right. You remember Hess trucks? Of course I remember Hess trucks. They had a new one every year. So do you remember the jingle? It's kind of why I made that yeah. joke. It's yeah, it's it's like the na, 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 Do you remember the words? No. Uh guess who's back and it's better than ever arriving this year. The Hess trucks here, which I th- I think is the melody of something else, but they used it for that. I think so too. Yeah. I, I don't know. Why. It's it's bizarre. It's it's really bizarre that um, of all things, a Hess truck. I it's right? it's the power of advertising, um, distilled into its purest form, that a child would care about <laughs> the Hess truck. <laughs> I I mean I had a few of them. Same same. I liked them a lot. It's crazy to me that it's it's a I still Hess is a gas station, right? <laughs> yeah. The fact that a child would care about a gas station because you know, tell me, you know, you have the Hess truck at home, you're driving in your your parents' car, you pass by a Hess, 
and you're just like, oh, mommy, dad, it's the Hess. I know that. I, 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 I got to rep that by having a truck with the name on it. Yeah. But it's... Now, yeah. imagine imagine if like there was a shell truck. Okay. Or like, uh, what's a, another gas station? My mind is working overtime to imagine this, but I'm imagining... <laughs> what's another gas... Hess, shell... I haven't driven in so long. I'm so so off of this. Um, <laughs> How about a Circle K truck? <laughs> Okay, various gas station trucks. Yeah, like just imagining kids getting into fights over like who's who's got the better truck. <laughs> what gas station they like? What gas station? <laughs> you know, I don't think I don't think I've ever stopped at a Hess, despite my childhood affinity for it. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't remember a lot of Hesses either. You know, maybe their prices were just so um, high that they needed the the toy advertising campaign to compensate because nobody would want them otherwise. Right, <laughs> but I, I a parent going to fill up at Hess because their kid has a Hess truck. Oh, that's definitely happened. The child screaming in the car. <laughs> I want to go to Hess. I want to go to Hess. Uh, I, I, to to speak frankly, I think that advertising is the most sinister concept in existence. Oh, definitely, yeah. I, and I, I don't say this lightly. It isn't this isn't a bit. Um, advertising is the art of distilling everything into its lowest common denominator mm -hmm. and it, it, it to advertise something has an intrinsic need to view the worst of of humanity and people totally yeah and i just yeah, absolutely. I, I find that to be supremely sinister uh, especially so when it's geared towards children too oh especially that's when it that, that's, that's what it's, it's, it's more exploitative because children are so children are so primal yeah that they're easy to understand and in, in that sort of way usually right you know you, you you make a commercial you give it a fisheye lens you have a, a kid with spiky hair eat a gummy product mm. and and you're in advertising has two forms condescending and exploitative sure condescending more towards the adults and exploitative more towards the children but in no way has an advertising executive ever respected the audience. Mm. And and in no way have they ever gone to heaven. That's right. They're not dogs, after all. <laughs> so, Alright, what episode are we on? Oh, God. Sarek? What, are you trying to move us along here? <laughs> <laughs> we watched Sarek. It's the other half of our double feature. Um, Sarek. Sarek, Sarek, which is a title that is extremely difficult to make a a gay sex pun out of. <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, we, we had a lot of trouble with that. I, I named I named my uh, my notes Shrek. That's good. Uh, which is quite. You combined the two titles, which yeah. was nice. I said Sarek nice. has the most boys, which is mm -hmm. decent, but yeah. Doing nothing with the Sarek itself has a uh, leaves something to be it's desired. Tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we we got the great Mark Leonard back as Sarek, legendary. You say back? Has, has he appeared as Sarek before? Yeah, in TOS, I imagine. Yep, yep. Now he was yeah. probably a spring chicken by that point. At that point, yeah, yeah. Which is odd, right? Right. Now I'm just... I don't think he was he was very different in age from um leonard nimoy that's a that but i'm also trying to imagine 
because I haven't seen the episode. I don't watch TOS. Not a fucking nerd. I'm trying to imagine um, two Vulcans having like a uh, a familial spat of some sort, where you know Spock is on the Enterprise and Sarah comes up and they're estranged from one another, but they're having this uh, frayed reconciliation in an extremely <laughs> logical way. Right. Without either showing emotion, and it's just hilarious. It's like two coffee makers talking to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That doesn't compute. Uh, Blast them. You weren't there for me as a child. Leaving you and your mother was the only logical choice. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sarek back in the day, he was an attractive guy. I, I buy that. He's not a bad-looking older gentleman here. Mm. Uh, as far as grandpas go. Sure, sure. Um and then and then so so we also we also had Joanna Miles as Perrin who is uh Sarah's second wife, which I found odd. Well, that's a but, that's uh, a lore thing, I guess. To be like, okay, Vulcan No, 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 it's a Sarah thing. It, no, lore has nothing to do with this. I, I, we were talking about data lore earlier. I got it on the brain. Um <laughs> Sarek, being as old as fuck as he is, it makes sense that he would outlive his wives. And this became like a minor plot point, because the idea was that, okay, his first wife was a human, his second wife was a human, he had a bit of a mm-hmm. human fetish going on, like, like a jungle yeah. fever kind of thing. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, and that would kind of be the the original idea was it would be the bonding point between him and Picard, where they would both commiserate over you know how sexy the nubile women, human women were. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That got written out. Patrick was, um, he was, he was going. Th- I don't know if it was the woman he was seeing, but he was going through like an anti-chauvinistic phase. Um, sure, he just wouldn't abide by it. But uh, sure. we still ended up leaving his wives as human for undisclosed. I think we just didn't want to do the ears. To be honest. Yeah, no. I mean, at that point, we already had we already had a couple, two or three people in the episode that that needed to to go through the the makeup process, and I don't I don't know if we had the staff or what, but um, what was the other guy's name? Yeah. Sauron. Sakath. 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 Uh, played played by Rocco Sista, which I find to be a funny name. Now, did you um, know that Vulcans were conceived um, through a accessibility slash diversity initiative? Is that right? Yeah, the idea was that we would give um, non-actors, non-emotive people, a way into mm. Hollywood by playing... Italians. You know, yeah, by playing emotionless robots. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's um, forward-thinking, really. Because these days, sure, you know, we need to have an Asian star, we need to have a disabled star, we need to have a trans... But nobody mm-hmm. is really paying... Um, homage to the. Uh, by the way, quick aside, do you say homage or homage? I think homage is a sexier way to say it. Agreed. Nobody pays homage to the talentless in the way that we did by conceiving the Vulcans. Leonard Nimoy, right. mm, not really, not quite a great actor, but somebody who can read lines in a flat delivery like a toaster. Yes, and um, that's... he remembered the script. He remembered the script and he showed up on time. What a man! Fun fact: in in preparation for uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, Leonard Nimoy uh, also remembered the script for that. And we thanked him for it every day with his paycheck. Mm-hmm. 
So <laughs> Trek was yeah. the cutting edge of diversity in a way that's it, it, it certainly was. You look at um, Vulcans as they're portrayed today in 2022 and those vulcans are nothing you know these they throw in emotive scenes there's always this cheap um moment oh the vulcan's showing emotion it's so mm-hmm. it's so cheap but it it undermines the reason vulcans exist in the first place which is to again give those stilted flat actors a a chance so Trek. And also, also insulting is is nowadays mm-hmm. uh, the Vulcans are are frequently having sex. Exactly, exactly. Now TNG strayed into that a little bit by having Data have sex with um, Yar, which was con- as confounding today then as it is today. <laughs> um, but having Vulcans have sex is just unless they do it, you know, lights off in the missionary position for the sole focus for the sole purpose of procreation. Um, it doesn't work. You can't have these passionate scenes, you know, shot with mm-hmm. you know Vaseline smeared on the camera and uh, white satin sheets. It doesn't. This doesn't work. Right. Right. They're filming the Vulcan sex scenes like they're the room. Yeah, yeah, and you you have a um, ostensibly a child watching. Right. Right. And I I don't know about you. I can. I always. It turns me off to have a child watch sex. Oh really? Does it? Yeah, is... I guess you're kind of in the minority in the, in the industry then. That's true. That's true. It's it's hampered me from getting work before. You go to one of the um studio studio sponsored orgies and mm-hmm. it's always like a coin flip whether or not it's going to be a little literal child there just watching. Right, right. Or participating. Yeah. You ever see that to catch a predator where that guy brought his child along? No. So <laughs> <laughs> So he walks into the sting house just with his like, I don't know, four or five year old son just walking along with him, holding his hand. And mm-hmm. there's no decoy. Chris just walks out and he says, um, I know why you're here. You know why you're here. I'm not going to say anything, but, you know, and and the guy says, I, I have no idea. I don't understand. I'm going home. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he walks out. And uh, obviously the police are going to arrest him. So the police run in and the, a cop just very loudly shouts, you know, you get down. You points to the sun. Come here. And um, everybody's crying. It's a whole thing. Uh, a female officer comes out to take the kid and uh, the predators on the ground just crying like, oh, give me back my son. Give me back my son. And it's like, mm. you're going to have sex. Why would you bring your kid along? It doesn't matter if you're having sex with a kid or an adult, whatever. What is the kid going to do? You know? I know, you little piece of shit. That would be a good Liam Neeson movie. Go on. Well, it, it starts off opening with, with this exact scene. He's like, give me back my son! <laughs> oh, he's the predator! <laughs> he has to break out of jail to, to get his son back and have sex with him. In jail via the consequences of his own actions. I'm into it. <laughs> I, I imagine this was an old episode. Um, It certainly wasn't Hansen versus Predator. It was to catch a predator, but it was the same sting house as uh you know Lee Greer. I, I don't know these people's names. <laughs> Lee <laughs> Lee Greer. You're, you're, you're you're like a step away from like making fucking baseball cards out of these people and collecting them. <laughs> I'd do it too. Um, <laughs> so Lee Greer was notable for <laughs> a few reasons. One, 
he um he comes in and the the decoy's like oh did you bring the mcdonald's that i asked you to bring <laughs> and he's like yep i brought the uh medium meal no pickles and this uh, the french fries are cold and he plops it down on the table whatever so the whole sting goes through and he leaves and uh when the cops are arresting him they tackle him to the ground and he he shouts out like goofy from the disney he's oh lord and uh <laughs> it's it's such a such a wonderful little moment he's a big fat guy so it's intrinsically funny <laughs> i i when you said he shouts out like goofy my first thought was he, he they pin him to the ground and he's like <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's great! I yeah, I gotta go back and like watch the old T cap stuff. Watching, don't watch anything with commentary. Just watch, um, you know, uh, on YouTube. Basically, for every Predator, it has a distilled clip of their time on the show, and uh, okay. just watch though. It's a very good time. Yeah, yeah. I I I see a lot of Hanson versus Predator these days. Like that that tends to be most of the content. Don't get me uh, when wrong. people have conversations. Hanson vs. Predator is great, but the original T-Cap has a lot worth revisiting. Yeah. Yeah, there's... there's um, T-Cap can't be beat. No. But I, I, I will say, titling it Hanson vs. Predator is just about the funniest <laughs> thing that they could have done. <laughs> Hanson vs. Alien versus Predator. <laughs> Whoever wins, we lose. That, that would be a great film. And and really, they could only stand to benefit from from that. The like, all of them. The predator walks into the sting house. Hanson comes in and says, "What is a guy <laughs> doing?" <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, it's 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 not what you think. <laughs> so it's, uh, that's that's a robot chicken sketch. <laughs> the aliens is hanging on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe the aliens the uh the decoy it walks out and it's like oh, it's just me my mommy and my daddy me and my my face hugger and my uh my queen. <laughs> yeah there you go oh <laughs> uh, yeah anyway star trek so star i had a steric factor into this that's the real question <laughs> <laughs> um we we also have um uh, uh as a counterpart to the Sakath we have what appears to be a human he in, is a in human Kimandrosen. yeah uh played by William Dennis um and I don't even know why he's there his role is bureaucratic fat guy which is just you know prototypically <laughs> distrustful he's he's yeah he he's basically uh his 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 job is useless. Yeah, he's an a quote unquote aide. He's a middleman, right? And I, I mean, I don't really. Do ambassadors typically have, you know, these 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 handmaidens? Yeah, yeah, no, they do, they do. Do they? I mean, I, yeah, you're more involved in that world than I am, so forgive mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I was uh, for the audience. I, I was, um, I was ambassador to Sri Lanka, um, in the mid '90s, right. It took, Which was quite the experience. It took like seven years into our relationship before I could even spell Sri Lanka, so right. just a big gap between you. And, and it I. was it was it was a it was a stressful time for us, though. I mean, right. you know, me having to go back and forth, and yeah, I mean, but, they, um, they, they say that a lot about you know military wives just cheating on, but ne never, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. Then we'll see. Yeah. That's behind us. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss We've this We've talked. We've been in count. For, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's, it's, let's make this, let's keep this track, okay? Sarek. Sarek. So. What'd you think about Sarek? The episode of the guy. <laughs> <laughs> the person or the ship? Uh, I guess. Well, let's let's talk about the episode first. Holy shit! Um. Okay, I really need to collect myself here. <laughs> so, the episode, Sarek. It's strange. I hadn't really thought about this until you just posed the question. Um. You just kind of watched it like dead eyed and oh. didn't think about it after. Yes. stupid question (laughs) these past few days man but um so i i think that overall i liked the episode Mm -hmm. um i'm not gonna i'm gonna say i loved it but the the core conceit of confronting somebody you really respect in a in a high higher position of power um, mm-hmm. is an interesting conundrum for Picard to tackle. And I enjoyed the uh, the ultimate resolution of that, which is kind of like science fiction mumbo-jumbo, but it uh, it, re- it came across as cool to me, I would say. Um, yeah, the, the, the mind meld thing? Yeah. 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 So, and but... and I, I, would, I would add on to that, too, mm. the... Having to either grapple with someone you love slash respect kind of deteriorating or also grappling with you yourself deteriorating and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Hmm. It's, a, it's a really, really cool theme. I, I really like that. And it's like uh, bringing back a legacy character and doing something like that with them where it's not disrespectful. It's just it just it is what it is, kind of. It also uh, makes, makes sense. It's really good. In that. Okay, the character's aged since the last time we saw him, and that aging is the source of the conflict. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very natural. Now, I want to point out a distinction between this episode and an episode of Voyager that I watched recently, where in the episode of Voyager, um, do you know what a Neelix is? I've heard the name. It's it's the most obnoxious character in Trek history. Um, mm. where Neelix's home planet. Before the show's, uh, before the show began, had been conquered by another by another planet, and the way that they that planet conquered them was through the use of what is essentially an atomic bomb. Oh, Neelix is that disgusting fat bartender or whatever, right? He's a cook, but yeah, yeah he's a cook. Yeah, he, uh, terrible. A, a big reason why Voyager does not work. But, um, the point is that. His planet was conquered by an atomic bomb, and in that episode, the guy who made the atomic bomb resurfaces, and there's this whole conflict of Neelix um, having to forgive him or not forgive him, and that guy's seeking absolution, and there's like a peapod going on, but it's all just very flatly an atomic bomb, not even a metaphor, it's just an atomic bomb. It, you know, (laughs) the parallels are so easy to draw, whereas... Mm -hmm. And there's nothing science fiction really unique about it. Whereas with this, yeah, you can make like an Alzheimer's parallel or something. But the way that it's like, okay, this character is losing his mental uh, 
firmness, but the way that it manifests is by an, an excess of emotion and an excess of emotion that leaks onto other people. It's a yeah, sure, it's, sure. it's a real world problem that is um, upgraded to a an appropriately sci-fi fantastical concept. Right, where... right. Which which is I, I, I do want I do want to know and I'm sorry to interject, I do want to note that like that's that is Star Trek. That's what we mm. watch Star Trek for. And um you know, new new Star Trek, for example, it has its fans and they they, they get their panties in a bunch when, when people criticize it, but it's the the issue is that um a lot of a lot of Trek past a certain point stopped uh <laughs> reframing these real world problems in a sci fi context. Yes. And uh, that, that that was always that was always what Star Trek did great, and <clears throat> the original series especially sometimes fell into being a little preachy, and and even TNG did, but for the most part it was always like this, and 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 it is really nice to see. Hmm. It's it's just I mean, it's always it's always a real pleasure to be able to look at these these kinds of problems in in such a different reframed context. I can think of exactly one time where TNG fumbled this idea and kept mm. things in a, a strictly real-world sense. It's that season six or seven, but I believe seven episode where... Oh, the part where Troy became a cake, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the episode where there's a group of space native americans who are displaced from there right right, right the native american you love this episode well it's the final appearance of wesley crusher where he fucks off with the the traveler right oh well until picard season two that is exactly where he comes back and just smiles like a retard it's his only face <laughs> where 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 he uh he acts as if he's will wheaton and which is an amazing um, show of talent because Will Wheaton doesn't have any distinctive qualities <laughs> besides being a bug-eyed fucking soy boy. Uh, we're not big Will Wheaton fans here. I I like Wesley Crusher a lot more than I like Will Wheaton. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's why whenever I would talk to him, I would say, um, "Pretend you're Wesley Crusher." Right. That's, so I wouldn't um, have to confront Will Wheaton. I, I said that mid-coitus one time, and he uh, he acquiesced. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, what were we talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, so thematically, this episode really good. Um, yeah. I I love I love I just I love I love the theme of just like you're falling apart. And you can't do anything about it, and that's like how do you. How do you come to terms with it? Right. And, and they did a good job with it. Everybody's reactions to it are also true to life. Um, the yeah. people closest to him not recognizing the problem for what it is, trying to delude themselves, trying to shield him, Sarek, from it. Um, they're not really acting sinisterly, but they are um, ultimately acting against his best interests. Yeah, they're jeopardizing basically everything here. Right. Um, just per just to perhaps protect them, protect him, protect themselves. Mm. Uh, he he kind of refuses to stare his own condition in the face. You have Picard, who, like you noted, um, is in a very interesting position here, where, uh, for example, the, the the opening of the episode was very. I'm, I don't know if I would say it's odd, but it's definitely different because you never hear Picard gush over someone. Right. It's nice to see <clears throat> such a clear. Um you know, admiration 
Uh, yeah. It's it's a little informal of Picard, who is yeah, a it's, it's, for it's that a kind of thing. tiny bit ham fisted, I think. But I like it. You, though. Can, you can get over. I like it too. You need it's, to establish. It's a nice that. aspect of his character. Mm. You need to establish that for really the conflict of the episode to work. If Picard doesn't yeah. overwhelmingly respect this guy, it's a lot easier for him to to challenge him and his capabilities. Yeah. So. It's, it's yeah, so it is, it is really cool that that he that he does have this kind of extra dimension to this relationship where um, Sarek is this guy that is is just so above him, or, or he he Picard himself thinks that Sarek is so above him and 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 just like this this glorious amazing figure and and having to tell him that he's basically losing his mind is one of the most difficult things ever, really. Mm. which which is it's 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 a very different dynamic than we usually see and and i really 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 love that this episode yeah that pays off in the the confrontation scene later on but you know we'll get mm-hmm. there um, yeah and you know what i'm actually glad because um we we initially uh or the the, the writers i i might say initially they, they were gonna have a pretty intricate cucking side plot mm. Between Picard and Sarek's wife, which, right? which, as we all know, is Shakespearean in nature. Right, right, right. And and Patrick was really all about that. He loved that. Right. But um, I I guess I think it was cut mostly in the interest of time. They just needed to rearrange some stuff, and uh, th- th- that would have been just like a little too involved with all the other stuff going on. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, initially part of Sarek's reasoning for mind melding with Picard would have been to win his wife back by. He, he he would he would call Riker number one in front of her, and and that would kind of just set her off and uh, make her fall in love with him again. Um, but ultimately, I'm glad we didn't go down that route because uh, the 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 mind meld scene we did get um, it was was interesting. What do you think about this? Now, do you mean Patrick's um, Patrick? Yeah, his solo scene afterwards. I see. The yeah. thing is, we had God. What was it for? five hours of footage of um patrick kind of it was all improv first of all and of him just going yep. off in a a roller coaster of emotion and we had to cut down it must have been like two or three minutes in the final episode but we had to cut down the several hours we got into that condensed scene and he had a field day patrick had a field yeah. day yeah acting this out um but i really liked it and I wish that the audience could have seen more of it. I do have to note that possibly the funniest thing is that Gates had to be there the entire time. Yeah, all five hours. And the yeah. nature of her role was to sit back and watch. Um, not unlike the cucking aspect of the of the episode that got cut. But um, yeah, every maybe every hour or so she would you know, put a hand on his shoulder and be like, oh, you know, I'm here for you. Calm down. But right. yeah, she put in the time. And, you know, it's an easy way to be included in a riveting scene while doing very little work. Right, right, right. You know. And as we all as, know... As is the fate of every actress. Right. And as we all know, the TNG actors got paid by the second they were on camera, so it it was good for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she oh, she made a killing. Mm. I was, um, but overall, I was a big fan of that part. I think that there's an... You might be able to read it in a hokey sense, Um because it is very deliberately over the top and over emotive. But, it's very over the top, yeah. But I, I think that Patrick sells it well enough and the context of the of the, of the scene 
sells it well enough to allow for that over the top mm. aspect of it. And um, I uh, I like when he mentioned Spock. That was that was really cool. I was I was really happy when when I heard Spock's name. Yeah, it's uh, it reminded me that I know what a Spock is. <laughs> he mentions his first wife too, right? Yes, Anna or whatever. Yeah. I think the ultimate payoff for all of this is at the very end when he, Patrick, has a word with, um, Perrin? Perrin? Perrin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perrin. Um, and comments on Sarek's feelings for her. And mm-hmm. it's also kind of cool how she's just like, yeah, I, I know. Um, mm-hmm. this, this isn't a surprise to me. But it is, it's nice how it speaks to their relationship where, yeah, Sarek is going to not, um, express these emotions outwardly given his Vulcan nature, but he, she still knows and is not surprised by yeah. this. Yeah, um, sure, sure. And, and, you know, you definitely have to have that um, that strength of mind to be able to be in a relationship with someone like that, for sure. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 also kind of just the, something that's been building up since the beginning of the original series, too, this idea of, like, how to... Vulcans experience emotion and it's you know it's very much like like anyone else it's just a matter of them being culturally kind of um subdued uh yeah sure yeah it's it it sets up kind of that that suspicion i had about Tuvok and Voyager of how do you regularly contend with um a a supremely logical character in a medium that necessitates emotion and Mm -hmm. there's ways of doing it. And it's never, it's never been touted that Vulcans are emotionless, just that they suppress their emotions, meaning that they do have them. So I I think this episode handled it with, with a plum and uh, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately made for a uh, pretty compelling narrative slash character study mm-hmm. um so in in terms of um narrative i guess the the whole conflict basically centers around this uh the what what, what would you call it it's a um, diplomatic peace talk sure yeah with uh with what what are they called you you really, you're really quizzing me here um <laughs> legarians the, yeah okay the legarians all right yeah um and i guess they set up like a little like uh playpen for them in well there's the negotiation oh. chamber as it were which mm-hmm. sarek is said to have outlined the exact specifications of and the first of this we see is the um i i think jordy refers to it as a slime pool which is <laughs> it's the slime pool which yeah. is kind of like yeah. this very hot it was like 75 degrees celsius um bubbling red pool of slime and it was only red because after one day of shooting frakes used it as his own swimming pool which mm-hmm. kind of gave it its reddish tint but right. obviously it wasn't really 75 degrees it's celsius no no that would that would have been crazy right frakes, but, uh, frakes is frakes is frakes but he's not he's not a superhuman he's no superman that's right he can't do it all on his own if i go crazy i would not call him superman Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah so we never see these guys right no we don't need to but but we don't see them 
It would have been nice too. I, I, I do wonder uh, what what species of alien would need to uh, kind of fester in a a seventy five degree Celsius pool of slime in order to get anything done. Probably something but, octopi adjacent. Yeah, 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 fish like. Yeah, like that um, um, that thing that Mick Fleetwood played. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> um, yeah, and and so in this very room. We get a scene where um, Wesley and Jordy start fighting with each other in what is probably the most honest uh, back and forth that the series has ever really had. Yes, yes. To say that now, I'm not a, I'm not the writer, but to say that this exchange was not at all inspired by onset events is a little naive. Mm. I would, I would say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, it was almost cathartic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was really good and the the i think the insults in particular were rather true to life of yeah oh definitely uh, jordy just needling wesley on being uh on having no game and and then and then wesley uh uh responds well you know at least i don't spend all day playing visual novels right <laughs> which is kind of like the the cripple fight of of TNG conflicts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Uh, and, and, and Riker comes in and he's, he's like, is there a problem? Is there a problem here? Anything you want to say, Jordy? Um, I think both of them are like, no, I was just leaving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> May I be excused, Commander? And, you know, now we're left wondering, oh, what happened? This is weird. This never happens in Star Trek. This is a utopian future. I'll, I'll point out, it looks, no like, it looks like Wesley has his shirt on backwards. The, oh, uh, does it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice that. The, um, the, the excess of the neck is, is towards mm. the back rather than the front. Oh, no. <laughs> so, it, it, I don't know. It just looks like he's wearing it backwards. <laughs> that, that, that's just in that year. Oh, I see. He really wanted to impress Ensign whatever. Yeah. The, the, another the girl we also don't see, which I was disappointed. Right. By. We don't see Wesley's love interest until the seminal episode of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Who I, I am pretty sure he also didn't hit. No, they, it was Ashley Judd. Yeah, something like that. Ashley Judd right? Tread. Ashley Judd Tread. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, she was a cutie. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, so so then then Picard invites... Well, he wants Sarek to come to Data's violin recital. <laughs> There's other um, musicians there. But Data is the Data, featured Data. soul. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for the camera, Data is the featured soloist. Yes. And, um, <clears throat> and so they hatch a plan because Sarek is kind of under lock and key to mm -hmm. invite his wife thereby you know surreptitiously inviting sarek himself right 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 these these madmen they're toiling yes yes which we all know is uh just completely untenable so mm -hmm. they he ends up coming along him and his aides and his wife and uh data plays violin in the style of what was that guy's name? 
I couldn't tell you. He says, oh, you know, I've studied and downloaded the play styles of these classical musicians, some of which are real, some of which are not. Um, yep. Which would you like to hear? And she says, I want to hear this guy, blah, 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 whatever. Um, so you can look at Brent miming playing the violin and just completely see how off it is. <laughs> um, Brent had a very... He had a dearth of knowledge on how a violin works. I think the first time that we, we handed him the prop, he tried to hold and play it like a guitar. Mm-hmm. And we did a few takes of that before one of the other musicians, because the other actors were real musicians, um, cor- gently corrected him on, on how to hold it. And, you know, Brent, he's, you know, he's the humble guy. He accepted that. He didn't insist that he was doing it the right way. I respect mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and somehow we still ended up with, with footage that is just, um, it's complete garbage. Ridiculous. It's, it's over with the music overlaid on top of it. It's just nothing short of ridiculous. <laughs> they, they should, they should have done, uh, you know, mostly just like wide shots. Instead, we get a lot of data close-ups, which is, it's not, it doesn't work. Right. Uh, there's uh, that odd but, section but, of him kind of conducting before his uh, his solo comes in. Yeah, that was really weird, too. What was that? I don't know. I mean, Data was ostensibly in time, but his movements were just slightly mm-hmm. slightly delayed. And I, I wouldn't say robotic. I would say more awkward than robotic, because robotic would at least be like a metronome, consistent and on time. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just awkward. Yeah, it was, it was a weird scene. Um but most importantly, Sarek cries at this. Right. Data moved Sarek so much. And I don't mean by picking yeah. up his chair, but emotionally. Mm. Emotionally. Um, he moved Sarek um, enough to tears. This, this is where we learn that Sarek's a fag. He cries at music. He's a fag. A key element of the plot. <laughs> uh, so he has to be um, guitar-drangled away. Right. And... Everyone notices this, although we, conspicuously we don't get um, we don't get a scene of Data kind of tilting his head like a dog <laughs> while playing the violin as as Sarah leaves. That's the only thing this episode is missing, to be honest. It, it, it truly is. And uh, so so now 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 Picard's like, oh, something's up, and um, we. Uh, we cut to a scene of um, Dr. Crusher slapping Wesley in the face. I uh, rewatched this scene like five times while watching yeah, this episode. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you, you can even look this up in the original script. There there was... This, this ends kind of prematurely because Wesley was going to run out of the room screaming, how can she slap? Right. And um, I don't know why we cut that, but uh, but we did. And I think it was just time um, time constraints. Yeah, maybe maybe. But it is it was it is a cathartic scene, yeah. much much like the the Wesley Jordy one. It's it, it's nice to watch these characters finally just let it out. It's you know it's a great show when you're like you get the impression that any negative emotion is the result of an alien phenomenon. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so yeah, this this is around the time where they all come together and like, wait a minute, everyone's fighting on the ship. What's and, going uh, on? Yeah, and we get a scene at ten forward where everyone just starts beating the shit out of each other. I think the best scene in this episode um, occurs between the two ten forward scenes, where mm-hmm. there's a alter the 
onset of an altercation between O'Brien and some guy where they have a dispute over whose table, who has ownership yeah. of a certain table. And yeah. it looks like Jordy ameliorates the situation and then it cuts to Riker and Worf in the hall and they're talking about some <laughs> some ensigns that have shown aggressive tendencies recently and you know, right. they don't really know what's going on. And oh god, I have it written down. What is what does Worf say? Maybe Riker says it. Um Ah yes. So Riker says something like, Oh, we've had a lot of incidents of people being aggressive recently. And Worf says, Oh, I hadn't noticed. Cut to them walking into Ten mm-hmm. Forward and the entire bar <laughs> is just fighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty well timed comedically. I-, I had a laugh at that scene. It, it was very good, yeah, yeah. Um I I am pretty sure they they actually wanted and like it, it was almost an accident this that, that 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 sense of comedic timing it was almost an accident because I think initially what they were going to do is they were going to have O'Brien um kind of instigate the fight hmm. but I remember at the time we had just hired um uh, uh an, an Irish inclusion officer in, in yes. HR right the, the and uh, um they they I, struck I, I, that down real quick yeah they struck that down so um, the cut was necessary, and, and ultimately, you know, it, it was much better for it. Agreed. It lent a sense of comedy to, to that scene, which I think is necessary because it's not genuine aggression. Yeah. You know, had it been a character's true feelings, you want to pay it more respect and take it with more gravity. But because it's, you know it's something that's not going to hold, you know it's something with, with little weight, it's okay to play it a little more comedically. Yeah, yeah. No, it it was it was really funny. But um, th- this is the point where now the crew um, knows basically for sure that there's something wrong. Yes, there's some there's some kind of uh, foreign agent uh, making them angry about things, and uh, which is kind of something like a woman would say, really. That's right. But Crusher's the one who um, finds out that it, the onset of this occurred once Sarek boarded the ship creating yes. a, a link between the two events. And so uh so so Picard calls Keem and Drosen into his office, his ready room. Um which fish watch there is a fish. Based. And um Key is is not happy. He kind of threatens Picard. It. He's like if you value yeah. your career, you'll uh Right. you'll forget about this. Right. But he goes behind his back and talks to Sakath, and Sakath is like, because Sakath has got, had gone to, no, he has data talk to Sakath, because Sakath had in, in, implied that maybe they might need Picard to take um, Sarek's place. Right. Which, you know, lo- it makes sense logically. I fucking hate the way that they write Vulcans in Star Trek. Um, the It's fine, for the most part, but... Hmm. The fact that they can't write a scene with a Vulcan without using the word logic, yeah, yeah, is very annoying. It is a little stupid. It fucking annoys um, the hell out of me. Um, and this will come up later on in the episode when one character. Yeah, it will too. Well, yeah, because, because yeah, because Sarek starts screaming, "Illogical! Illogical! Illogical!" Yes. And anytime Which somebody so wants to, to win over a Vulcan, um, they say something like, you could even say that this idea is logical. And then the Vulcan's <laughs> like, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> right, right, right. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, long story short, Picard goes and confronts Sarek and his wife and whatever. There's a whole fucking... There's a, whole, there's a whole scene. There's another scene. The episode ends. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I mean, I don't know. You, 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 know, you know how. There's really nothing to note. We already talked about Picard's little scene. Yeah. It, was, it was cute that uh, um, Sarek walks onto the bridge and he's like, number one. Yeah, a, a nice little, I wouldn't say subtle, but a nice way of showing the, the mind meld. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd completely forgotten to, to, to note this, by the way. There, there's that scene where Sarek, um, he, he, he complains that the walls are too bright in, in the, yeah. the, um, what, the the incubation room or whatever. Wherever the negotiations are going to take place. Yeah, and... yeah, the negotiation room. Yeah, yeah, he, he turns around, he's walking out the door, and he says, These walls are too bright! Which might sound and, um, nonsensical to the viewer, but that was kind of yeah. the point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I hadn't thought about this in years. I don't know about you, Mitch, but um, I, I totally forgot this was even a thing. Um, we, we put this line in as, as kind of an homage to Gene, mm. um, because he, he would, I guess, I guess, increasingly, really, it, it started off like very slow, but it, it almost became every time he'd come on set. He would say this exact same thing about how the walls were too bright, um, and almost almost foaming at the mouth. Really, he hated it. Right. Um, and this because it kind of became the stuff of legend over the next decade. And I'm uh, pretty sure it actually inspired Deep Space Nine's uh, moodier, um, and some might say better lighting. Yeah, I know that at certain cast parties, reunions, and you know, drinking parties after conventions and whatnot. These walls are too bright. It was a very much recurring joke between those yeah, and the yeah. no. But yeah, I mean, you can see it. You go to Deep Space Nine. None of those. None of those walls are bright at all. No, not a single bright wall. No. And even in Voyager, right? Not, not a lot of bright walls. It really took until the um, the kind of uh, renewal of Star Trek. Mm. more recently for there to be any kind of brightness to the walls and a lot of that was because of a gene's death but b um people working on these new productions who had no hand in any of the earlier ones right right and 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 therefore being completely incompetent and right. having no idea what they're doing right and it's a core tenet of trek no bright walls no bright walls hmm I'm just glad. I'm just glad we've uh, we've 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 passed the term of our NDA for Picard season two. Right now we can talk about how much we dislike it. Oh my god, hated it. Yeah, it was terrible. I don't think people people at home have the experience of um working. I'm not sorry, not working of watching something and just being like, okay, I don't like this. Maybe I'll turn it off. Maybe I'll keep watching, but I don't really like it. Uh, whereas, whenever you work on a uh, production oh yeah you're just we trapped turn it off watching it in slow motion scenes mm -hmm. take after take and every take you dislike and every day and, 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 and any scene any scene with 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 patrick was slow slow motion oh yes it was uh slow as molasses on a uh on a cold winter's day so um sarek does his uh his his thing and um the episode ends with with Picard seeing everyone off in the transporter room, right? And yeah, he uh, has words with Perrin. His uh, Sarek's condition um, isn't resolved, which 
obviously that that makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's kind of sad. And it's it's makes you think. Well, it kind of mirrors the previous episode. Both uh resolutions don't present a clear emotional triumph for the main characters. Yeah. Um sure. data is inca- incapable of emotion and Sarek's uh condition is irreversible. And it's there's positive outcomes to the plots of each episode but emotionally they're left a little vacant which right i guess if you do too much of this it might be a negative but in moderation i really enjoy Hmm. you might even say this was a two-parter you might say that but it wasn't might i'm really like furrowing my brow here was this a two-parter? Did I did I drink that much? <laughs> <laughs> but it was not. <laughs> um, uh, okay, how many saucer steps does this get? This is going to get a th- three and a half. Three and a half, yeah, I agree. I think it's a good three and a half. Um, although, you know, honestly, I might have liked it more than um, the most toys. Really? I mean, I, I'm not going to say... the most boys. <laughs> nice. I'm not going to say that's inconceivable, but... Um, I think I would disagree. Yeah, I think most would. So I, I do think it's kind of more responsible to give it a three point five. No, no, follow your heart. Don't no, worry about uh, about the others. You want to give it a oh, four? It's give it's, a four. it's it's somewhere around there anyway. Maybe a, th- a three point nine rounds up to a four. I had more fun with it. That's for sure. So yeah, maybe it is a four. I maybe buy maybe, that. maybe they're both fours for me. I don't really know what I mean by this, but there's no accounting for taste. Hmm. Mm. I don't know what you mean by that either. All, All right. right. Um, you got some trivia uh, for me? Yeah, I, I have a lot of trivia, actually. Oh, um, thank God. The one thing in, I needed in the theme is, of this episode, is for this episode to last longer. <laughs> in the theme of this episode, I have, I have about uh, five trivia questions. Sh- shoot them all at me. <laughs> yeah, I only have a couple. Um, okay, so let, let, me, let me just make sure I get this right. Um, shoot. Hold on. All right, so so th- there was an issue. I remember reading this. There was an issue with... um. We were talking about the violin scene. Yes. Uh, the performance, and... Uh, there's there's a much more obvious issue with the scene than you know the 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 playing that doesn't match up. Hmm. Okay. Um because what they play at first is is Mozart's um string quartet number 19. Yeah, I remember we had a lot of problems clearing the rights for that, but but we did. Yeah, 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 we did. Uh that wouldn't have been a problem nowadays, but no. Um <clears throat> which is fine, but there's a particular problem with um, the the scene that makes Sarah cry, sextet number one in B flat major. Mm-hmm. There's an issue with the ensemble where it it could not it could not have been played by those those people um, on the stage at that time. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking you what the issue was. Well, I'm going to assume that because you just called it a sextet and there's only four people playing. <laughs> the fact, there you go. The, Good fa- job. the fact that they're not having sex means that they couldn't have played it. 
<laughs> there you go. That's great. <laughs> Just making sure you're awake. Um, okay. What did Michael Piller start collecting following um, the most toys? Baseball cards. Yep. I'm on oh, fucking fire. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. All right. Third and last one. Um, there, there's a story that takes place right after, um, the episode Sarek. Okay. And it's called the Picardian Knot. Um, <laughs> she has sex with a dog, doesn't <laughs> <laughs> have sex with a dog. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a story in a, <laughs> um, what, what, what do you call it when there's multiple stories in one piece of media? anthology yeah it's an anthology it's, it's part of an anthology okay. and so my question for you is um what is the format of this anthology what what kind of media is it god i'm so tempted to say radio drama <laughs> oh my god um it's between that and something like a uh like a cd-rom disc <laughs> Uh God, but I'll, jeez, I'll, oh, no, Trek is nerd shit. I'm gonna say a CD-ROM. CD-ROM. Yeah. Uh, no, it's 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 part of um. The first volume of Star Trek: The Next Generation, the manga. Bokenshin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, would would not have gotten that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a thing that exists. So wait, you're saying that the TNG manga does not have Picard having sex with a dog? No, surprisingly. Jesus. That would be the one thing that would. Right. <laughs> the Picardian not. <laughs> but that's more like he becomes a dog and, like, fucks Troy. Either that or it's, like, a new measure of speed that Picard founded. Like, <laughs> the the ship's go. traveling at 50 Picardian knots. <laughs> Per second. <laughs> uh, still trying to figure out who wrote this this garbage. Um, David Gerald. Ah, David Gerald wrote the manga, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 you know, classic Japanese name. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I'm really interested in what these uh, what what the pages look like of this. Probably black and white. Oh lord. Did, oh did, my did you, did god you find one? yeah look at this oh god our audience will really enjoy this <laughs> oof it's a combination of um anime eyes and uh western noses That's right very off-putting in fact i don't think there's any pudding at all drawn here What the hell? No, I don't want to be changed. No. Well, it looks like that's the end of this episode. I suppose so. And what a great episode it was. Um, it, yeah, a, a, a proper four-hour episode. Our recording time is just over three hours. Probably 15, 17 minutes of that will be cut from uh, our uh, intermissions. Wow. But... Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no such thing as moderation nor self-restraint. 
eventually our podcast episodes will grow to eclipse the other part of our lives. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to taking shifts. One of us sleeps while the other commentates. <laughs> the other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Just to fit in. Yeah, by that point, it will be like Voyager. They are our Wake up, honey. <laughs> it's, it's your turn to talk about Neelix. <laughs> Good lord. Well, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors who do not pay us by the second, unfortunately. Um, that would be Denny's, home of the Moons Over My Hammies platter, plus the Tauntaun Men. Also, Pep Boys, home of the Three Minute Oil Chains. You say readier at either of these establishments while paying for your order, you'll get 15 percent off and now this extends to the recently developed um, online pet boys store so you can put in coupon code readier one and again get that 15 percent off at the uh, checkout screen join us next week where we'll probably have only one episode of the next generation and until then or maybe maybe no episodes maybe no episodes just uh just a podcast of of other things <laughs> Which was half of this episode. Well, you know, 60, 70%, whatever. Um, but until then, whatever format the next episode takes, I invite you and I invite yours to come together in this holiday season and please stay ready. The troublesome little man child. I stand before you defrocked, condemned to be a member of this lowest of species. Thank you, Ensign. Engage. Do you consider yourself superior to us? Should have told him to mind his own damn business. But I stroke the beard thusly. Do I not appear more intellectual? Have you never dreamed of climbing inside the bottle bottle?